Hey, it's Digital Noise again, and Joe, are, are, are you all right? <laughs> Don't smoke, kids. <laughs> yeah, that looks like you're you're kind of covered. You look kind of green. Oh, that's just a protective layer of snot that is formed around me to keep other germs from infesting the germs I've already got. Oh, okay. So you went to Fantastic Fest then? No, it just been Fantastic Fest adjacent. Okay, yeah, that, it, that flu gets around. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm already I, on the other side of it, so don't kiss me. Yeah, I didn't get A-list uh, germs. I got C-list germs that were hanging around. <laughs> yeah, man, once they go down to the C-list, it gets really bad. I got the A-list, which was just, you know, a little... Yeah. Hey, good enough. <laughs> I'm all right. Got a nice, uh, a nice uh, prize basket with it too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, I do have the cure here for that. Oh, I hate the cure. I'm, I'm sorry. I hate the cure. No, no, no. You, you, the cure is good. Here, have a beer. Oh. Welcome to Digital Noise. This week, it's Chris and Joe. Hello. Bring you a massive stack of titles, uh, some of which Joe may have a hazy memory of because he is indeed feeling a little <laughs> under the weather. <laughs> I, I blacked out just so that I could review these for you, and now it's for not. So turn the subconscious on. Let the subconscious take over, Joe. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna feel it. That super ego. Let let it be the your guide for this week's episode of Digital Noise, which of course is brought to you by Audible.com. We if you see that, go on our page and you see that little banner at the top. You click on that. Go to Audible.com. Sign up for a a free. A trial run, basically, and you get a free one of their audiobooks for free. There's so many titles in there, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of great stuff. Really worth your time. In between episodes of Digital Noise, there you got something to listen to. So if you're too sick to read, listen to it. Indeed. <laughs> uh, you're so sick that you your your eyes are clogged up. Actually, I did get so sick one time that uh, I started going deaf in one ear, and then I went blind. And then I woke up three days later. Yeah, and uh, and then I was perfectly fine <laughs> in a ditch in Sweden, covered with strange, empty bottles. Uh, still in my my living room. I passed out on the couch. But, oh, okay. uh, fair enough. Yeah, I was covered in uh, layers, <laughs> layers of something we won't say. Uh, also, of course, you'll see on the page all the eventually uh, all the pictures of the stuff that we have reviewed this week. If you click on one of those pictures, it'll take you to the Amazon page where you can buy that item. Or, in fact, starting from any of those links, if you buy anything on Amazon, we get a healthy little kickback from those things. So please buy all your Amazon things through our links. Like cold and flu medicine. Your Christmas is coming up soon, so don't forget, please, if you're buying presents for family or friends or just for yourself... Start from our Amazon links. Can't tell you how much that helps. That's your Christmas present to us. Uh, one last thing. Subscribers, of course. You get all sorts of benefits on the site. A uh, bunch of extra shows that you get to listen to. Uh, we really appreciate you subscribers so much. We're trying, we're trying to do as much as we can for you. Uh, please think about becoming a subscriber. You're not only getting those free shows, but you're also just supporting the site and all this other stuff that basically we're not getting paid very much for. So that's what keeps the lights on, keeps us being able to pay for our bandwidth, and so on and so forth. Well, you know what? Enough futzing about and housework. Let's get into the reviews. Oh, I like that. That was smoky. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'm Kathleen Turner this week. Yeah, that was, you know, you were formerly sexy. <laughs> Once upon a time. Well, first off is uh, the movie SFW. Does that say for work? Uh n- no, it actually stands for So Fucking What. Oh, that. This is a Blu-ray re-release of a 1994 film directed by Jeffrey Levy, based on a novel, uh, starring Stephen Dorff and Reese Witherspoon. And this is kind of an odd setup in that it takes place after the dramatic events. You know, we see that the two of them and then a couple other people were went to a convenience store and these weird sort of art terrorists showed up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, who called themselves uh, uh, Split Image, SPLT Image, and basically hold them hostage for a, I'm not exactly sure how long it's supposed to be, like a month or something like that, and broadcast uh, them live on worldwide TV. So when they get out of this place, I mean, that's the, they're, they're like, you know, we'll kill somebody the moment the signal stops, basically. So that ends up being kind of their claim to fame after they get out of this experience and everyone knows who they are and they're like have fans and t-shirts for the stuff they said. And especially Stephen Dorff, who's, you know, kind of a punk. Uh, who's coins the phrase "so fucking what"? He's an anti-hero man, and, and he's you know he gets out and he really is not pleased with the intense amount of media manipulation that's going on around him. So he just kind of takes off on a road trip. Uh, yeah, if he didn't like that media attention, boy, was he going to hate the future, <laughs> right? Uh, meanwhile, Wendy Reese Witherspoon's character is kind of was a little rich girl, and she's kind of doing exactly what her parents want her to do, go on all the talk shows and everything. But everybody kind of wants to hear, "Oh, did you guys have a romance? Were you? Uh, did you hate him? What?" And she's like, "Look, he's just a really nice guy. You guys, even with all that video, you still don't really understand him." And I, you know, I don't even know what the point ultimately of this was. I didn't know when it first came out. Yeah, I didn't see it when it first came out. This was my first viewing of it. Oh, no, this this was definitely uh, in the dollar theaters. I have a Sunday afternoon to burn. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just walked <laughs> pretty much saying, so fucking what? Yeah. It was just, it, it wasted my time, I felt. Well, it's trying something different, so I give it points for that. True. Uh it, it it made me feel kind of like it really wanted to be the script for Natural Born Killers. Yeah, or or like somebody had watched Repo Man a thousand times yeah. and wanted <laughs> to make their own Repo Man, and it just is nowhere near as cool or as interesting as Repo Man is, it, even though it, it cops several of the gimmicks from Repo Man. And when you want to do that, just watch Repo Man. Yeah, you just watch Repo Man. It's a classic. But, you know, because of when this came out, there's a lot of stars that went on to be, like, sl- at least slightly better known afterwards, like Joey Lawrence Adams. Mm-hmm. It, 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 Lauren Adams is in this. Uh, Jake Busey, who I almost always find completely obnoxious. I, really? Because I actually like Jake Busey. Really? Yeah. But just something about him just makes me want to smack him. It's the teeth. Him. It's, it's only in teeth. The Frighteners do I like him. <laughs> And you know, because he's the villain. Well, so. Starship Troopers. Yeah, not a big Starship. Oh. I know people love Starship Troopers, but I never could get into that one. Yeah, I, I like him because he always looks like a bohunk. Bohunk? Yeah. I just can't, I just see his dad. Yeah. He looks like his dad like had like uh, the gastrointestinal weight reduction surgery or something. <laughs> and, uh, you well, know? he's not doing any Dish TV commercials, so. He's got that going for him. I forgot what it was. There's some show that the both of them are going to be on the cast oh. of now, and I forget what it is. I remember I just read it, and I was like, holy shit. I kind of got Yeah, that's to, worth at least a watch. I kind of got to see that train accident play out. Uh, Amber Benson as well, Tara from Buffy, has a kind of a brief uh, but story-changing 
role at the end of this. But, you know, I I think to a lot of people, this probably is a formative film, you know, because it's very sort of fuck you, society, whatever. But it's just so lame compared to so many other better films. Yeah, it's not like like a SLC punk. I've never seen SLC punk. Oh, it's fantastic. Is I it mean, really? It, well, it, it was definitely one of those formative things for me where it got through it. This was not getting through so well as far as just being unhappy with with the state of everything mm. because it also showed yeah you can rebel but you're probably still an idiot yeah yeah you, yeah yeah and generally <laughs> as someone who rebelled and was never entirely clear what i was rebelling about against i can tell you i was at least a little bit of an idiot <laughs> <laughs> but weren't we all at a certain age uh next up is the woods this is a 2006 lucky mckee film if that name sounds familiar what well, should he got to be famous by making the film may uh, uh which was what well, we did first all cheerleaders die which i never got around to seeing but i know as a certain cult uh basis but may was kind of his big underground hit with, oh right that also brought angela bettis to everyone's notice as well as an actress uh and from there he never really has managed to capture the uh success that he had early, uh, you know, from that. But The Woods was kind of, I remember when it came out, everybody who really loved May was like, yeah, we really want this movie to be good. And the thing about The Woods is, it is good. It's just not quite good enough. Yeah, I, I really liked the movie, but it, it wasn't it wasn't hitting a home run. No, but it it seems appropriate to be re-releasing it now that because everyone, for some arbitrarily, it seems, has decided that witches are the new thing that we all get to be scared well, of. Well, we're, we're, we're sick of vampires. Okay? Yeah, so now it's got to be all witches, and this is indeed that story. Set in 1965, where uh, a teenager, uh, Heather, played by Agnes Brucker, is sent to a, uh, a boarding all-girls boarding school by her mom and her father, played by Bruce Campbell, who is given almost nothing to do. Her mother, who is played by a monster. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, And the dean is Patricia Clarkson, so you know right off she's probably something's wrong. (laughs) Uh, She gets to be friends with, like, the nerdy girl in school, uh, played by Lauren Burkell, while their bully, Samantha, is played by Rachel Nichols, who you might know as a grown-up from the TV series uh, uh, Continuum. She plays the lead star on Continuum. Yeah, that's you, what it is. She looked familiar, right? Yeah. You were like, where do I know her from? Jeez. Yep, oh, she's I'm from an Continuum. Uh, and so they keep hearing stories, don't go in the woods, and girls disappear when they go in the woods. And, of course, it all comes down to witchy stuff. And, yeah, uh, ultimately, it's it's garbage. The lead, <laughs> the, the lead character being, you know, having abilities of her own she's not aware of, you know. And, you know, I mean, this is probably a good companion piece to something like The Craft, mm-hmm. where it's yeah. like, it's a decent little horror, but it's nothing to, like, put on, like, the classic shelf. Right, but it's it's definitely a good way to, to pad out an afternoon yeah it's you know another teens that are that are special but with some genuinely creepy moments in it i think for me the biggest problem with movies like this is the woods don't scare me at all in fact i feel very at comfortable and at home in the woods i mean i grew up in virginia what do you want i didn't but anything that can be felled by a match like i'm not too afraid (laughs) well take almost anything really except robots Okay, Robot Woods would scare the shit out of me. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, and uh, it, maybe it's a bit lecherous, but if you're of the uh, girls in Mary Janes with knee-high socks sure. uh, fetish, then this is totally the movie for you. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Um, 
I, I think like uh, there's a point towards the end of the movie where I'm really not sure what the woods is even thinking. I don't see its end game. Yeah, I really I'm don't. not really seeing what its plan is and how it relates to the main character and what exactly it wants from her or why it chooses to kill some girls and not others. Right, it's just very like okay. If you say so, Woods. And, and so is she going to uh, uh, ascend into the uh, school marmhood, too? Like, yeah, it's not made know. clear. Yeah. But uh, I still think it will easily say this is worth a watch and is a good companion piece for watching any number of other witch films, which are coming to be popular, like the recent Fantastic Fest release and soon to get a theatrical release of The Witch, which is really, truly phenomenal film about witches. Was it good? It's quite good. Oh, excellent. I recommend it. Well, next up is the Criterion release of The Honeymoon Killers. Now, this is definitely off the beaten path for Criterion's normal uh, standard of, of film. Uh, it is certainly a cult film. Yeah. It's not a terribly good film. No, I, I, I just wonder, like, uh, how much do they have left in that bucket? As far as like what they're they're giving Criterion releases to. Well, there's so many films I would still say why why don't you do this and uh, and a lot of it has to do with getting rights to it. But yeah. I mean, there's no question the Honeymoon Killers, this 1969 crime film, influenced horror quite a bit uh, and a lot of films that came later and was indeed sort of like you know uh, like a midnight movie for a lot of people. I mean, I could see John Waters probably loved the shit out of this film. Oh yeah, I mean, because you've got like the lead character Martha Beck who is this. Totally a John Waters character, a really obnoxious, unlikable, very obese woman who's a nurse who uh, lives with her mother, who's kind of nasty herself in her weird sort of way. Uh, and the, and uh, her friend, Bunny, submits her name to a Lonely Hearts Club, and she gets a letter from this guy, Raymond uh, Fernandez, a, oh, a Raymond. Latin lover. Uh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, because Doris Roberts was Everybody Loves Ray's Mom. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. Yeah. I forgot Doris Roberts. Yeah. Plays her friend Bunny, who goes on, who is later the mom on Yeah, Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, that's, boy, I wonder if there was any intentionality I there. Think, I think so. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so he, you know, it's clear early on that this is a guy that takes advantage of a woman in this Lonely Hearts Club thing, you know, just basically takes him for some money and then takes off. Uh, but he actually, for whatever reasons, falls for her. Uh, you know, never entirely clear why of all the women that he, he gets a chance to pick up, but he does. Uh, and it becomes clear afterwards he has no intention of stopping doing what, what he does and she's having trouble making peace with it, but they're kind of on the road together with her posing as his sister, which eventually leads from just taking advantage of these women to murdering them. This is in fact based on a true story as well, apparently. Uh, hey. and it's very, very low budget, you know, uh, it's, like about 115 minutes it's I, I don't know i mean it's best watched as a curiosity yeah i mean the low budget is is definitely what i liked about it but criterion like that's yeah i was like really <laughs> criterion yeah. this is the film that you picked i mean i guess there are those out there who just i grew up with this or saw this at a formative age or something and are like what of course it's great but i don't really get it uh of course it does being a criterion come with lots of stuff where like a uh, archival interview with the composer, writer, director Leonard Castle talking about the film, uh, and a new documentary called Love Letters that bring together the actresses, the actors, and the editor talk about the funding and production history of it, the style, cult status, yada yada yada. There's a video essay uh, uh, by uh, 
Scott Christensen, the author of Condemned Inside the Sing Sing Death, Death House, that uh, is basically about the real Martha Beck and mm. Ray Fernandez okay. and their story. And then there's just a little illustrated leaflet with an essay about it that comes in. I mean, they, as always, put together a really good package. But ultimately, I think this is a minor footnote in, in crime and horror film yeah. history. Yeah. I, I think unless you really want to delve into the, the genre itself, you don't really need to visit you, it. You can skip past that one. Uh, well, next up is the remake of Poltergeist, uh, <laughs> which no one was asking for, for the record. Um, although, I admit, I found the original was one of those films that was super formative for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that movie scared the shit out of me when mm-hmm. I was a kid, and I watched it over and over and over again. Now they've gotten Gil Keenan, who uh, directed Monster House and City of Ember. Never did get around to seeing City of Ember. I heard it was all right. Yeah, I, I didn't. I yeah. didn't get Monster House it. was great, though. Really fun cartoon written by Dan Harmon from Community. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Because he never stops mentioning on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, I made one hit movie. It wasn't a big hit. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this one stars Sam Rockwell as the dad, Rosemary DeWitt as as the mom, and Jared Harris as the psychic that comes to visit. And I will say this, people came down on this movie really hard. And I don't actually think, as remakes go, this is a terrible, terrible remake. It's just unnecessary. Yeah, it's not a terrible remake, it's just terrible. No, see, I don't even agree <laughs> with that. I don't think it's a bad movie. The biggest problem is that you're it's you're just waiting for the stuff that you already know is going to happen. Oh, that's very true. You know, and like, okay, admittedly, they do their best to try and give little twists here and there to make it just different enough. But all it does is make you want to watch the, the original Poltergeist. Yeah. Oh, completely. You're like, oh, yeah, I kind of like that better. But there are some really nice moments in it. There, there was like this, if I remember correctly, there's a bit where like the little girl's sitting at the bottom of the stairs and suddenly she's just like yanked bodily up the stairs. Oh, yeah, that was adorable. Kind of upside down and backwards. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> she was all bendy dolled. Yeah, she's all bendy dolled. And like I said, I thought there were some creepy moments. I always like seeing Jared Harris, although Jesus, talk about typecast as a paranormal yeah. investigator. It's like, that's like <laughs> it's all that guy does now. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a shame because I think that if they had taken some of the inventive stuff that's in here, some of the new stuff that they did and threw it in a, a movie with a different title and a, and like a different enough of a plot, I would have gone, Hey, this isn't a bad little ghost movie. Yeah. Uh, cause, uh, I thought the dynamic of, of Rockwell trying to, uh, uh, trying to get his kids into liking what's going on by by giving them stuff could have been played with of you know he's he really can't afford to do this but he needs to be accepted by his family so he's going to go ahead and run them into debt right <laughs> and it's always nice to see Rockwell who admittedly handles his role with i think more serious and more attention than it probably even needed yeah yeah he probably was in in a in a, a steam room in Hollywood, thinking about where his character was coming from at some point. <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't think my character would react that way to my son being swallowed by a tree. <laughs> I think he would, in fact, say, well, food is expensive. <laughs> well, that's one less mouth. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think if you've heard about how much people hate this thing, I mean, don't get carried away. It's not as bad as people say it is, <laughs> which is faint pra- killing it with faint praise. But, you know, it really isn't. I think it's actually worth a watch. 
next up is Insidious Three, or I'm sorry, Insidious Chapter Three. Yes, unquestionably thank you. the well, no, not even un- I wouldn't even necessarily say it's the weakest of the three. It's on par with. It's probably a little yeah. bit better than two. I think. Yeah, two, two was a super stinker. Um, I, I, w- I was still very, very uh, upset with uh, Insidious Three because it just was super flat all the way to the to the last moments. But uh, there's always so much you can do with 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 the concept, uh, and they didn't even choose to do that. Well, they went here to go, decided to go here with a prequel, and the prequel aspects of it, bringing back Lin Shay, who we all love, who by the way I just realized recently was the teacher in the original Nightmare on Elm Street in the scene oh. where she's having the dream when she's in class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was the teacher in that scene. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, that's cool. I totally forgot that. But Lynn Shea, of course, is the psychic we see die at the end of the second one. So they're like, well, we want to get her back, so let's do a story about her in the case before the in the first movie. And the problem with this movie is that the case in question is really kind of dull and by the numbers. Well, and every all the acting felt so stilted. Yeah. It was just... None of the actors are particularly good. Uh, the... That case goes almost exactly where you expect it to. It's just so by the numbers. It's just not that interesting. But when they get, when they're dealing with with her, with Willen Shay and her like backstory and where she, what she's afraid of, and what that has mm-hmm. to do, that stuff is interesting and creepy. Yeah. Um, also, Dad, a bit of a monster. So. Kids, if one of your parents is a monster, paranormal shit's going to happen to you. Yeah, without that, that just establishes. Yeah, it. I think that's how it gets started. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess. Like, I mean, my problem with two was really that it was such a redux of the original. Mm-hmm. This at least is not that, but it still is certainly not straying real far from the formula either. Um, I guess the end of two had a really great moment in it that was sort of like portending what was to come, and I was like, oh, now I'm interested. And then now we don't know. <laughs> yeah, now it's like okay, well, fuck it, we're gonna go back into a prequel. Yeah, we'll see how this one does. I mean, it's certainly better than uh, Annabelle was, for, you know, from the Conjuring spinoff, <laughs> <laughs> like by a sizable margin. Uh, uh, Dermot Mulroney is here as the dad, who's basically looks like he's constantly asking himself, "How did I get here?" What did I do wrong in my career? <laughs> uh, Can I go back to acting, please? <laughs> it's interesting that uh, James Wan, who is not the director of this, who but I think, didn't he direct the first one? I think so. I mean, he's just in part of that group. He's one of the producers, but he actually plays a small role in here as a uh, acting school audition judge, which is kind of... Oh, funny. right. Okay. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's... The series is kind of losing steam quickly, but at the same time, at, at least I felt it was a little bit of a step up from part two. I gotta say... Uh, which was boring. <laughs> the, the, the final shot was super cliche, and that was actually one of the things I liked. You liked that it was super cliche? Yeah, because if, if you're going to uh, play it up, just go ahead and go for camp because going for the like the the real scares like they're they're not doing that anymore. Yeah. So just have a fun movie. Well, I was like, hey, here's Darth Maul one last time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of Darth Maul. See, that's the problem. Lucasfilm should buy this company and then tie it into the actual Star Wars films because <laughs> it was a galaxy long, long ago. He could be just bit fucking like still pissed and haunting like thousands of years later on Earth. It's like, hello, everyone who killed me is long since dead, but fuck it. 
<laughs> uh, continuing on with our horror theme, it is October, people. Ooh, uh, It's a totally not scary vampire movie called Nocturna. Now, be careful, because there's a really great animated film called Nocturna yeah, this that came is out not last it. year. This is not it. This is like Lifetime was doing a pilot for a vampire show. You know, uh, when, when we were uh, viewing these, uh, that was usually on the top of the stack, like kind of like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> uh, but every time it would freak me out because I would think like, Dude, we're going to watch a Toshiro Mifune uh, video <laughs> based off of the cover, the cover art. looks like a samurai vampire. Yeah. I was like, but it's not. It's a really no. terrible actor. No, no. It's very bad. Yeah, the acting in this is definitely the worst part about this. It's all just bottom-level acting. Well, that and, and, and the... Just the cinematography, finger quotes, was was just so sterile that it, there there was no atmosphere. It did feel like cheap television, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah. Uh, filming. Yeah, like, Young and the Restless. Yeah, uh, the idea here is in New Orleans, or these, this detective who's been with the force for a while, and this new guy who they make a point of saying, "Look, he's kind of a badass in the beginning, <laughs> a boxer," which really never is terribly pertinent. No, and but, then he's just shoved into yeah. <laughs> to be. Yeah, the, so they're on the force. They find this uh, the, with this house where there's a suicide, and there's this little girl there. It's like it wasn't a suicide. My people killed him, and uh, so they go to take her home. She's like, "I don't really want to go home. They're gonna, they're gonna." abuse me or whatever and uh, the new cop's like well I'm gonna go take her and the older cop's like no we'll drop her off here she can walk he's like what are you fucking crazy we're gonna take her he's like look don't uh." and it becomes clear that there's a whole area of town that the vampires own pretty much and the cops and them have kind of a hands off deal like don't fuck with us don't come in here and we won't fuck with you Uh, (laughs) so it's a lot like how New Orleans actually is yeah pretty much uh, so he goes in anyway and screws up the deal, and then the one sect of vampires who who can only apparently survive by drinking the blood of children uh, Naturally. are the bad guys, and then they're the sort of good guys, which are the other vampires <laughs> who make so a deal bad. with the cops, say, well, we'll leave you alone, and if you help us uh, basically track down the nest for the, uh, these rival vampires. And it's a really hackneyed script that doesn't do anything truly original except for certain sequences which are just which don't even make sense Mm-mm. like there's an, a whole ending thing in here where I was like wait what well it, it actually made it feel a lot longer than it was it for, for 92 minutes because you're just like well, I have to do homework to figure out what's going on <laughs> yeah I gotta look it up online and say okay now what happened uh, yeah it's and there's a love story between one of the vampires and one of the cops that comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Like, just left field as shit. And this is after they set up a thing saying, oh, she was a monster. She did horrible stuff during the Civil War. She's, don't believe her. She's like, she's evil. Which never becomes, like, part of the plot after that in any way, shape, or form. She's just the love interest that becomes one of the good guys. Well, Chris, if you're going to be with somebody, you, you you can't judge them on their sexual past or their murderous past. I, I think I can, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, next up is a horror movie we can recommend, or at least yes. I can. No, no, I, uh, yeah, I can uh, definitely well, recommend We are it. still here. This is a genuinely freaky uh, new take on a haunted house story that definitely you feel the roots of Lucio Fulci films and things like that here. Uh, starring the great Barbara Crampton, who, if you follow horror at all, she was one of the major scream queens of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, she was the uh, the hot naked girl in the reanimator. 
Boom. Yeah. I forget the character's name right now. but uh, Doesn't matter. Yeah, the lead female in the reanimator, who we got to see a guy uh, perform oral sex on her with his disembodied head, which is a, uh, which rocketed me through puberty. I was going to say points. Bonus <laughs> points for that. But uh, he or she and her husband, played by Andrew Sen- Sensenig, I think that's right, uh, are, they have moved in 1979 to a new house in rural New England because their son, Bobby, who was like, you know, college age, died in a car accident about two months beforehand. And they're hoping just to get away from everything, get some closure. Um, but she's really depressed. Uh, she, the moment she gets there, she things start happening, pictures falling over and everything. And she comes convinced that her son, Bobby's spirit is there and trying to communicate with her. In fact, so certain is she, she calls her friend may played by Lisa Marie <laughs> dragged out of mothballs <laughs> yeah. and her hippie husband, Jacob played by another horror legend, Larry Fessenden, who has been, uh, who is one of those guys who's been bigger behind the camera than in front of it over the years, but he was like kind of a mentor to like the director of this and to Ty West and people like that, kind of helping them get started. It's kind of nice to see him on the other side of the camera again. Uh, and she's, the, her friend May is a psychic, and they're like, okay, so she, she's also like, oh, our, my my son, who was roommates with your son, is going to show up with his girlfriend at some point, too. We'll make a weekend of it, yada, yada. One thing is, this town is weird. Uh, everyone looks at them strangely and coldly everywhere they go, and it becomes clear very quickly that uh, it, her son is not, doesn't appear to be the ghost haunting the house. There's something much darker in the form of these burnt to a blackened crisp ghosts that are some of the most like creepy original looking oh, they were great. seen they, in a while. Cause it was like being frightened by s'mores, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which s'mores can be frightening once you've had too many. Um, I really liked the fact that like in a very fulci way that even though it's a ghost story, it turns bloody as fuck. Well, it like turns. These, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, these ghosts kill. <laughs> they don't yeah. just creep you out. They murder the shit out of you. Which is one of the things that you want. Like, otherwise, why am I scared of you, ghosts? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, maybe they're trying to tell you that you have uh, hepatitis C or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, like the, the 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 look of this was great. Um, I, I thought it was shot well. I thought that the you know just the setting itself and the wardrobe and that that kind of like griminess of, of the 70s that I hated works perfectly for it. Yeah. No, no. It's it, it's at its worst. Like, I'm not even sure this is really the fault of the actors so much, but it feels, some of the acting feels a little stilted. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's like, it just feels like there's too many, too big of a pause between lines sometimes in dialogue where you're like, okay, this needs to have a I don't know, a better sense of flow, perhaps? Yeah, and I f- but I feel that that was like a directorial choice. And it may have been. It may very well have been to fit the feel of this type of Yeah, movie. just try to like prolong tension sort of thing. Um, yeah, and it is genuinely creepy, and I really love the last beat of this film. Like, it was one of those that like just instantly sent chills going down <laughs> my spine. Well, it, it was fun to actually have fun watching a horror movie. Which, yeah. Which... Doesn't happen that often. Doesn't, for me. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of movies, horror movies. I'm like, yeah, that's good. And rarely do I feel like I'm having fun and being scared at the same time. And this is one of those yeah. ones that that does. I, th- this is one of the best horror films of 2015, and is a perfect Halloween movie. And if you do watch Nocturna, watch this directly afterwards, <laughs> just to get that bad taste of like silly Lifetime style vampires out of your mouth. 
you know what I also enjoyed, although nowhere near as good as 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 that one, was Last Shift. Okay, this is one of the ones where I, I had the blackout. Okay, where you actually, <laughs> your mind disappeared elsewhere. Yeah, I, have, I, I know that I did watch it because it came out of my PS3 when, <laughs> when I came to, but I remember nothing about this. Uh, this is from Anthony de Blasi, who first got on my uh, radar from an adaptation of Clyde Barker from his books of blood called Dread that came out in 2009. I got to see it at Fantastic Fest, and I was like, wow, that was really good. Uh, and also another film, Casadega, which was pretty good as well. Uh, and this is one of those ones where you're like, okay, it's suffering from a budgetary problem to some extent. The vision is a lot bigger than the money can pay for. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you, you can it frays at the edges a bit in terms of the effects, but not too terribly and most of it is practical so that's good the idea is it's this uh this rookie cop uh uh juliana harkavi who is her literally her first day at work uh, and they say well we're this police station is actually closing this is the last night that it's open all calls have been rerouted to another station we literally just need you to sit here and watch the desk Nothing is going to happen. How could it? Yeah. <laughs> so they lock her in this place by herself. I mean, like she can get out. But, you know, they they lock it. The doors are locked. The phones are basically. I mean, they're on, but no calls should be coming through. When she gets a call anyway from this girl who says, "Hey, I'm like." I'm hiding these people, this family, they're trying to kill me. Uh, And almost immediately, shit just starts going bonkers in the police station. If I have a problem with this film, it's that I don't care if you're a cop, I don't care if you're worried about proving yourself, 15 minutes into this movie, anyone would have run out of this place (laughs) screaming. I mean, you talk about that whole white people in horror movies who just go, that's peculiar. Yeah, this girl's got to be the stupidest person on the planet. Because, like, even well past the point where she's, it's clear something supernatural has to be happening. She's still futzing about this place. It's not till it's at that point where it's finally at that point where she thinks, oh shit, this shit's trying to kill me, that they make it where she can't get out of the police station. But she's being haunted by these spirits of a Manson family oh, type group that had been like brought into the who had been caught but not before they killed several police officers including her father oh uh, and uh brought into the station and then in the station they killed themselves and then disappeared uh like their bodies yeah their bodies disappeared uh and apparently they're part of a much bigger family so it's well known there are other members out there but nobody knows what happened to them uh so she starts thinking okay it's got to be these other members you know who are fucking with me and you end up with a pretty fun scary little horror film low budget but certainly something that you can't dismiss automatically well i'm glad i saw it said i don't remember it (laughs) it's too bad you didn't see it last shift is worth your time albeit a little bit silly for the suspending your disbelief that anybody wouldn't have run screaming out of it. <laughs> I mean, Samuel Jackson would have left 15 minutes in. Or he would have died. Fuck, well, he wouldn't have... He, like, the first thing anything happened, he's like, I'm black, I'm out of here. I know what happens. I've seen horror films. Uh, next up is Final Girl. Boy, we got a lot of horror films this we week. We do. Um, this is a... Uh, I mean, it's horror, but it's they're selling it as an action thriller, which I thought was weird. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a weird, like... Kind of La Femme Nikita-ish, sort yeah, of, but not really. La Femme Nikita, if instead of being trained to be like a assassin for the CIA, it was Wes Bentley training from a little girl, Abigail Breslin, to hunt down killers. 
Well, I thought it was a bit unfair that he didn't start the the meat of the training until like three weeks before. <laughs> yeah, right? The heavy-duty <laughs> stuff. But we see there's a group of guys who are like, you know, prep school, like the highest realm of asshole, yeah. who uh, basically meet girl, pretty young blondes, take them out in the woods, and then say, okay, you got five minutes to run, and then we're going to come kill you. And they go and chase them and kill them. Uh and Wes Bentley sets all this up. Well, like you're going to be that girl, and then you're going to kill these guys. And you know, there's not much in the way of training ahead of time. There's a mm-hmm. little bit of the re- the most interesting part to me was watching the bits of about their relationship. Yeah, but it's never explored anywhere near as much as you want it to be. Yeah, I feel like the focus was was <laughs> was solely on the wrong side. Yeah, well, I mean, when it finally gets to like you know about almost the halfway point of the film, it goes to okay, now is the her running through the woods and taking these guys down, which, you know, for the sense of style, there's a thing where she's drugged them with a psychedelic as well, Mm -hmm. so they can do crazier stuff out there. Uh, But it's all kind of, like, by the numbers at that point. You're like, I was kind of hoping for something more Uh interesting, considering the setup here. Um, It's a thing. The plot is just not that interesting. And... I ultimately, this is an excuse for this first-time director, Tyler Shields, who's better known as a photographer, in fact, very well-known as a photographer, who does very extreme and kind of bloody work and has worked with a lot of celebrities as well. Uh, this is an excuse for him to do his photography style on film. Lots of, And admittedly, it's pretty when he has these shots that are just like, you know, just these gorgeous and kind of surreal, dark, violent shots. They're like, okay, that's pretty cool. But I need a story that I care about it. Yeah, I mean, I, just a little bit. I feel like they had a, a decent setup. I mean, it's not not new ground, but they had a decent setup, and then they just didn't follow through very. very no, well. no. Well, no, like I said, nothing interesting actually really happens in this thing. No, it, it's uh, Jesus the cat. I don't know how he climbs up there. He climbs to the highest part of the room. I'm just waiting for the the something to break. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think everybody's good in this. Uh, I, I really like Abigail Breslin as mm-hmm. a promising young actress. I can see why she was interested in doing working with this guy. Totally, his sense of visuals is intense, but um, just a better script next time. Yeah, yeah, please. completely. Because I've just found my, I was like, how am I getting bored during this? And yet, <laughs> I was getting bored during this. And poor Wes Bentley, he was like. I was supposed to be huge by now. <laughs> what? I was an American beauty. I, I delivered that plastic bag line. What yeah. happened? Thor Birch is somewhere thinking the same thing. Yeah, best laid plans. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, even Mina Savari, what happened to her? Shit. Oh, ooh, yeah, yeah. Time moved on. Yeah. Well, Kevin Spacey's like, Psh, whatever. <laughs> Next up is Dead Rising Watchtower. Yes, you heard me right. Dead Rising Watchtower. Watchtower. This is a uh, ad- adaptation of the Dead Rising video game. Yeah, you were like, wait, did that happen? Did that come out? <laughs> well, no, it didn't really come out. It's out on DVD. It, it seeped out. Uh, it, it takes place between Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 3, if that means anything to you. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're following. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I only played the first one, and I was like, yeah, it's all right. Um, I, I'm... I, I was more of a fan of Dead Island, but I realize that's not a popular opinion. So. Oh, no, I share the opinion. Do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I like Dead that. Island a lot. And then Dead Rising was like, okay, this is all just like about constructing weird, improbable, yeah. improbably useless weapons. Which are fun, 
Yeah. But but more of the smashy smash. And yeah, there's so many escort missions and shit like that. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, but here, this film, which is basically like a, a comedy horror, really. Um, it's There's this online reporter, Chase Carter, uh, played by uh, Jesse Metcalf, Metcalf uh, who is... There with his camera woman, Jordan, uh, played by Keegan Connor Tracy, who's been in lots of genre stuff. And they're inside of this uh, uh, quarantine area in Oregon where the government, who runs an organization called the Federal Emergency Zomba- Zombie Authority, <laughs> yes, FISA, <laughs> uh, has is trying to quarantine this area of town. They're there trying to cover it. Uh, and there's a drug they give to people, Zombrex, that basically <laughs> if you've been bitten and you and you inject this regularly, I think it's like really regularly, it's like every 12 hours or something like that, then you won't turn. So there's people out there who do that. But suddenly the drug stops working and the people inside the quarantine zone start zombieing out and suddenly there's a full-blown like epidemic going on uh with the hero caught inside there and trying to find his way out and his camera woman who manages to escape the quarantine zone finding out that something nefarious is going on between the government and uh and the drug manufacturers uh and i mean this is the exact example of a film a video game adaptation where they try so hard to include every single element from the games that it just becomes so tiresome. Yeah, it, I don't know. It it, it kind of like all that stuff you said. I'm sure it happened, but I, I just wasn't registering because it was just kind of like okay, and this and this and this. It just kind of felt like everybody needs to renew their SAG card. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> I mean, the, the the gore effects weren't bad, but there wasn't enough of them, or they weren't remarkable enough to be worthy that worthy of attention to no uh the one thing i I kind of enjoyed here was rob riggle who plays uh, frank west the protagonist from the other dead rising games who's like on a news broadcast and just totally hitting on like the woman like crazy and he's actually kind of funny during those sequences yeah well yeah but that was that was that owed more to rob i think yeah no completely uh and there's other recognizable actors in this as well that makes you wonder how is this get this budget for this. Uh, Virginia Madsen plays one of the survivors who hooks up with the team. Uh, Julia Benson is in this. Uh, 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 Dennis Haysbert plays the head of the military general Lions. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh, I know that guy. You know, I'm telling you, they, they had to fucking make the card. They had, yeah, they had to make the card. They have health insurance on the line. It's just, this is better than a lot of the video game adaptations, which is not saying much. Oh yeah, it's no Double Dragon. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's still not very good. Yeah, it's, I, it's I mean, no Street Fighter. Even as a just, if you forget about the uh, thinking about the video game and just watching a zombie action film, it's thoroughly mediocre. Yeah, like I said, I was just like, I uh, I can't keep track of everything. <laughs> I can't keep track of all the zombie films. Well, let's move on to TV for a little while and talk about Sleepy Hollow Season 2. Uh, I, I admit that I got sucked into Sleepy Hollow, but it took me a little while. It's weird, because I, I was on board, and then it just lost me. See, I went the other way, where at first I was, well, at the very beginning, I was like, okay, the idea of this guy, Ichabod Crane, you know, okay, forget about how silly it is to make a TV series out of, uh, out of Sleepy Hollow and change everything up completely. Ichabod Crane, uh, war hero during the Revolutionary War, who, uh, like, 
ended fighting ended up fighting the headless horseman uh, who essentially killed him. But his wife, who was a witch, cast some kind of spell on him that made him sleep until he was woken up in the modern age and is fine. And uh, and now he's working with this uh, pretty hot black policewoman uh, <laughs> who. Uh, uh, what's her name? N- Nicole uh, Behari, who is who is actually quite good in this. Tom Meissen as well, pretty mm-hmm. good. As, uh, pretty eminently likable as Ichabod Crane in the fish out of water stuff that they're doing with his character. Certainly not nerdy like he was in the Disney cartoon. No, no, not at <laughs> he's, all. He's hunky, and uh, they're fighting the attempt of the headless horseman, which ends up being a former suitor of his wife uh, from <laughs> back when. You gotta watch that shit. Is teamed up who is teamed up with what his his grown-up son that also slept or something or tra- I'm never entirely sure time yeah. traveled or slept for a long time but now is older than they are played by John Noble which is never a bad thing to have John and, Noble and he's got oogity boogity powers and they're trying to get this uh, demon to basically come into our world and start the apocalypse and the demon's setting up various people at as the other horsemen of the apocalypse and when the second season starts it's kind of like in the final act of that story mm-hmm. uh, as they're trying to both stop this from happening and kind of lamely to convince John Noble, their son to leave the world of evil and come and be our son and let us love you. And you're, you know, there's so many times you're like, Oh, for fuck's sakes, he's evil. Now give up me. It's like, you never even met this kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's cool. You can just move on. You can move on. I, I found that as it went on, I was more intrigued by, by, uh, Lieutenant's sister than I was by the Lieutenant herself. Right, yeah, Lieutenant's sister is, uh, like, was in jail when all this starts, or she was in the mental hospital. Yes. Because she actually was seeing creepy stuff happening from her an early age, and uh, no one believed her, thought she was crazy. Of course, now it turns out she was absolutely right. Yeah, she's, so she's, but she kind of like is the play fast, loose, and, and doesn't play by the rules that's character. Right. She's the Lorenzo Lamas of the group. Well, and she's hooked up with even more Lorenzo Lamas type of character who's like a independent artifact collector who who is like not 100% trustworthy but works with them all the time anyway but close enough <laughs> he's rugged I do like the second season a little better than the first season myself and that's for two reasons one it's you know the the wrap up in the first half of the season is pretty action packed mm, you know it's true. not it's yeah. not monster of the weeky it's like Okay, we're actually building towards something. Yeah, it's really quickly building towards something. And honestly, they end that story pretty much. Uh, the second half actually starts its Monster of the Week stuff I really liked. I was like, oh, some of this is pretty cool. And I like this new thing that they're, they appear to be building to. I like that, you know, John Noble's still there and kind of going, oh, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to figure out what to do when my demon's gone. Uh, I had fun with this in a way that I really kind of surprised me that I liked it as much as I did. Um, I, I I admit I'm anxious to keep following the show, despite the fact they've said, yeah, we're not entirely sure where this is going now either. Ooh. <laughs> Holy it sounds like they're going to spend a season doing a lot more monster of the week. Type Ooh, stuff. I hope it doesn't turn into lost. Uh, well, no, it's no, I don't think it's anywhere near as com- complex as Lost is. I mean, Lost was like for the first three seasons, nothing but introducing large, crazy mysteries. It's not really what's happening here. They introduce a mystery, it lasts for a couple episodes, then they solve it. See, I thought you were going to say convoluted is yeah, Lost. No, there's no hatch. <laughs> uh, and of course, this goes with the inevitable switcheroo time travel bit where, like, the female cop goes back in time to the Revolutionary War and has to talk to the I don't know you yet uh, version of, uh, of, uh, of Ichabod Crane, which is kind of fun. 
Uh, although I kind of, it's only like a single episode, and I was kind of like, "You guys sure you don't didn't want to hold on to that one?" Yeah, for they like could have done that for season three. For like, yeah, for like that seems like a run for a whole season there to do that. But hey, what are you going to do? Either way, I think season two actually is a lot of fun. Um, it's not one of the best of the months, you know, of the ghost hunter, monster hunter shows, uh, but it's not bad. It's better than what Grim became. Yes, it is decidedly better than what Grimm became. Which Grimm never, that's the problem, Grimm never became anything. Grimm just was like, no, we're just happy doing what we're doing. <laughs> we're just going to, we're never going to evolve. We'll take what we did and water it down. <laughs> uh, next up is Aquarius Season 1. Uh, the Age of Aquarius with a, a vehicle for David Duchovny to have something to do before he had to film the X-Files, pretty much. Like, but you know what? That's cool. Everything's sexy, baby. <laughs> and he is indeed. This is like Fox Mulder crossed with his Californication character. It really was. Totally. But I, I, I liked it. I thought it, I thought it was fun. I had some fun with this. I did think it dragged out the story a bit too much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I'm talking about like like just the the the, the meat of, of of the the plot, like mm-hmm. especially around the company. That was great. But like like the the whole like uh, police lady side business, like I just yeah, the side stories all there's Ugh. too many side stories. Yeah. A lot of them kind of go nowhere, and even when they do go somewhere, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> You're fucking. This show is a following Charlie Manson and his cult of followers, and you think I give a shit about this other stuff? Yeah. <laughs> you know, come You're on. You're the lead. It's uh, 1967 in L.A. Uh, it says it's inspired by actual persons and events, but really tenuously. Yeah. Uh, uh, David Duchovny is Sam Hodiak. There's a cop name for you. LAPD invest- uh, detective who is investigating a missing teenage girl uh, who indeed has joined up with the Manson family. She's like the daughter of of his ex... I don't know. She wasn't wife. Ex-girlfriend. Think, yeah, just yeah. ex-girlfriend. No, yeah. Who's now dating like a, a politician. Who's married to a politician guy. And it's clear there's like unresolved stuff between him and her. I mean, it's not long before they're fucking. I'll just say. But... Uh, well, I mean, the the sexy times in this were... I was kind of surprised. Like, oh, NBC is putting on some daddy pants. Well, it's the thing is, the show has a lot of nudity and sex in it mm-hmm. because they filmed it that way specifically for Blu-ray Blu-ray and DVD edition. I mean, you did you didn't see all that in the te- television broadcast. Okay. This is an extended okay, I was mix. Wondering. The extended mix that adds lots of nudity and sex to it. So, yeah, if you want to see that, okay. That explains quite a bit. I was kind of underwhelmed with Charlie the guy who played Charlie Manson. No, he wasn't he, scary. He wasn't scary at all. You're like, "Oh, you're just pretty much a irritating hippie." Yeah, like there there's points where 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 he tries to well, like like one point in particular where the missing girl's dad, he he like he basically almost man rapes him and yeah. it's like that's not scary. This is kind of gross. Yeah, it's it's just <laughs> like it, and it just gets silly with the amount that Manson was tied into the infrastructure of LA and that yeah, he's got everything. something on everybody. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that was based on actual events. It's like, look, he hung out with the Beach Boys. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I don't think the rest of this stuff actually happened. And that just gets sillier as it goes along. But Duchovny is really good in this. He's he's just so watchable and likable. He has sex with everybody you can have sex with, pretty much. Uh, you know, it's Duchovny. That's in his yeah. contract now. It's, it's uh, his writer. <laughs> hey, he's got a sex addiction. What do you Want. He takes jobs that that, that, that help him out. For it's that. a sickness, damn it! <laughs> uh, but you know, it's thirteen episodes that don't go by quite as fast a, a, as it 
probably should, but have good moments. There's a there's a fun episode where David Duchovny gets dosed heavily with LSD uh, and is wandering around the strip on L.A. just tripping his balls off. That's like pretty fucking funny. Well, if you have to, I guess that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You, you wouldn't want to take any acid that came from the Manson family. Like, as a general rule, that's probably not great. But Aquarius season one. Uh, I guess see where it's going, but so far I'm like one of those like yeah I don't think this is gonna make my buffer my my cut for season t- watching season two <laughs> as it airs. I just don't. There's too much. There's too many other really good shows. Well, it, is it even gonna get a pass for a second season? Yeah, it's getting a second season. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it surprised me too. I was like, really? I don't know anybody who was watching Aquarius, but mm. I don't know. I guess they saying, well, we'll give it one more season, see how it goes. Maybe maybe more sexy time. Yeah, and, and you know, and then they'll be like. <laughs> what it's NBC right is it NBC yeah yeah so they'll be later on they'll be like uh, uh, Aquarius uh, New Orleans Aquarius <laughs> Cyber <laughs> no, I, th- I think it'll be watch Aquarius with Heroes Reborn <laughs> with your Doritos Mega Pack uh, next up is The Leftovers season one the HBO TV show brought to you by Damon Lindelof uh oh and Tom Parada, uh, based on the novel of the same name by Parada, uh, starring Justin Thoreau as a chief of police in a small town and a father of two who's trying to make his world at least appear normal, but there's nothing normal in this world because, uh, for all extents and purposes, the rapture happened yeah. before the show started. I mean, nobody knows if it was the rapture, but people refer to it as that because literally, uh, what was it? I think they said uh, 140 million people, 2% of the world's population, just disappeared, just gone. Just suddenly they weren't there anymore. And nobody has the slightest clue as to why. And his, you know, uh, his family's fucked up because uh, one of these kids disappeared. Uh, his his uh, um, uh, his unborn daughter disappeared from inside his his wife. No, that that's pretty funny. That's pretty pretty <laughs> fucked up. But uh, his wife kind of freaked out and joined this cult of people called the Guilty Remnant, uh, who go around and never say anything and just basically. Trying to, they're like in you know, almost intentionally being aggro with their signs and displays against people that like whatever they deserve to go. <laughs> you know, uh, Liv Tyler plays a woman who uh, is you know thinking about joining the guilty remnant. You got Christopher Eccleston who's really irritating in the show as a reverend, which is sad because I love Eccleston. Yeah, I do too. But his his, his character is just awful here, uh, and a generally good cast. But talk about your show that moves extremely slowly, keeps I, setting yeah. up mysteries, and doesn't appear to be de- going anywhere or even know for sure what these mysteries are, like, resolutions okay. are. It feels like a lost with, with you know, no sense of timing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest. I got through two episodes and was like, I'm done. <laughs> it's really well filmed. Like, it's a beautiful looking show. Uh, and I admit, like, the part of me that really loves mystery-type stuff is intrigued, but then I keep remembering, fuck, this is Damon Lindelof, who, like, is not one of the best writers working in the industry right now. Well, uh, setting up a rapture-type event, uh, you, you really got to bring something new. Like, yeah. And, and this just didn't. So yeah, not or not enough anyway. I mean, I, I don't even think I can say it. there's nothing new. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here I've never seen before, but it's not doesn't feel like it's building. You know, yeah, there it was, just there kind was of no urgency. It just meanders. 
Yeah, yeah, I would say that. <laughs> it's really slow, the show. And for a show that's supposed to be like supernatural mystery, yeah, I need something to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, the, I like the dome is is competing to be better. Than- <laughs> <laughs> well, under the dome, which yeah. got canceled. So uh, uh, Scott Glenn plays uh, Justin Thoreau's dad, who you would think would be the most interesting guy in this thing, but he's barely in it. He was the former chief of police who's now in a mental health institute and keeps having crazy rantings and moments of violence. And you're like, okay, well they'll do something interesting with that. Well, not yet. Oh, good. So yeah. that never pays off. Uh, the second season apparently is moving to an entirely different town. They all go to, the, like, five of the main characters go to Texas. And there's a whole Heck bunch yeah, of new characters. Do. So I don't know what's happening there. But I don't know. It's one of those shows I think I'm going to kind of turn away from unless someone says, oh, no, it got really good. Then which, they added a chainsaw. Yeah, well. I did really enjoy Penny Dreadful Season 2. I'm a shameless fan of Penny Dreadful. It's goofy as hell. It's the most silly premise and I just love it to pieces. <laughs> uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham Van Helsing plays one of the main characters here, played by Timothy Dalton, who is, of course, the the uh, father of... Uh, who is... Uh, I'm sorry. I got that totally wrong. Uh, uh, Sir Malcolm Murray is Timothy Dalton, who is the father of Mina Murray from Bram Stoker's Dracula, who has disappeared and in... And this he's looking for and tracking down a cult of vampires. He works with Eva Green, who I think is one of the most like impressive actresses working right now. I think she's really incredible. And of course, as is her want, gets naked regularly throughout the show. Uh, it's, it's, she's, it she gets naked in everything she 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 does. <laughs> in every supernatural thing she's in, which is almost everything she does, she takes her clothes off at some point. Hey, got to give to the cause. <laughs> but she plays Vanessa Ives, a. Uh, the very religious in her weird archaic sort uh, archaic version of Christianity sort of way, like ritualistic magic Christianity sort of way. Oh, like like Gnostic kind of yeah, sort of sort of like that. Uh, who turns out she's a lot more than she seems like she is uh, as it goes along. Uh, you've got uh, Reeve Carney playing Dorian Gray, yes, from the portrait of Dorian Gray, who is you know a total fop who's like rich and has this huge gallery except for the one everyone doesn't get to see uh and uh is is kind of a minor character through that he basically serves the purpose of the guy who can they can have have sex scenes with men and women <laughs> who has, hey, has sex for a boy or a girl who has sex with almost everyone uh uh you've got harry treadway as dr victor frankenstein it's a very young frankenstein who at the beginning of the show we see has just made a monster and he comes up and is like father and then immediately like his hand like busts through his chest and there's oh yeah the actual creature that he made before played by rory kinnear who's fucking pissed off <laughs> Well, nobody uh, wants to be upstate. And is there basically to, 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 like, fuck with him and eventually, in the second season, say, hey, you know that dead girl, a played by Billy Piper, who was played a, a, a prostitute in the first season? I want you to make her into my bride. Ah, the bride of Frankenstein, as it were. And then you have Josh Hartnett, uh, who's who's playing the guy who's like, hey, I could have sworn I was a celebrity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's Ethan Chandler, uh, who is later revealed his real name is Ethan Lawrence Talbot, <laughs> which you know what that means. Yes, the big reveal for season two is that at the end of season one is he's the werewolf. Oh. Yeah. Uh, who's the American who's come there to help them. And this team goes and 
is basically successfully in the first season fights off these vampires only in the second season to have a coven of witches who have a past relationship with Eva Green and want her for because Lucifer apparently himself has very specific designs on her like she is going to be her his queen and the beckoner of the apocalypse hey if he want her to go out with him he needs to call her himself I know right you can't just text that's creepy that's yes that's creepo Uh, and second season is fun I mean like the witches I don't think are anywhere near as scary as the vampires were in the first one, but there's a lot of like really interesting backstory for Eva Green here, who is definitely the standout star of the series. It's fun watching Josh Hartnett now that he knows what he is, sort of figuring out how to deal with that. Uh, a lot of the you mean werewolf or sea list star? <laughs> well, now being in the show is, is him oh, dealing okay. with being a sea list. Right. <laughs> uh, no, being a werewolf. Uh, I, there's it. It goes through a lot of fun arcs. It gets really bloody, of course, as the show does. It does lots of goofy stuff. And the best part is it doesn't feel the need to stick to what you expect to happen based on the original stories. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll set you up thinking it's going the way that you expect it to play out and then takes a crazy left turn into totally new territory. Oh, that's nice to give itself some freedom. I'll be honest, I, I've been wanting to watch this, and I haven't since season one, so I didn't I didn't watch this. It, it, it is definitely worth your time if you like horror stuff. In fact, it was funny, someone was like, you didn't like Crimson uh, uh, Peak, but you like Patty Dreadful. I'm like, there's a big difference. They're both <laughs> playing fast and loose and silly with gothic stuff, mm-hmm. but like Crimson Peak is like hyper-gothic fired at you in a spread shotgun you know <laughs> this is more like the league of extremely uh, of extraordinary gentlemen gothic yeah i was wondering you know? if, if making that comparison would have been fair or not yeah it is fair i'm okay. not talking about the movie right, right. Yeah, yeah, no 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 yeah, yeah yeah no it's it's like a more it's definitely more comparable to that but it could have used from alan quartermain <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have been the right guy but they i'm sure there's no end of other options of people they can put in this man i really want to see uh 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 Oh, God, uh, Dr. Fibes come on the show at some point. The Vincent Price character, the abominable Dr. Fibes. Oh, okay. I would love for them to find a way for Dr. Fibes to be worked into the show. That would be awesome. Anyway, Penny Dreadful, season two, keeping up the good stuff, still fun. The most surprising TV thing for me this week this week was the second season of The 100. Now, if you remember back, I reviewed the CW show's first season and said... It's pretty stupid. <laughs> I know some people really like it, but uh, based on the book of the same name, which is what the first season is, the first season is the series of books, and then it ends where, you know, it, it takes different turns, but basically that's the, the, the completion of the books. And I was like, wow, this thing plays so fast and loose with bad science, <laughs> like just really ridiculously implausible scenarios poorly developed relationships between characters. The idea is is that uh, 97 years after a nuclear war wiped out almost all life on Earth, uh, the survivors lived on 12 space stations in Earth's orbit, uh, and this, they banded together and formed a single massive station called the Ark. About 2,500 people live up there, and their rules are pretty harsh because there's very few resources. All crimes, uh, they send you out into space. If you commit a crime, you're dead. Uh, so basically the life support system is failing a hundred, uh, juvenile prisoners. <laughs> yes, this is, uh, we're supposed to like these adults eventually, by the way, who do this are declared expendable and sent to the surface to try and see if maybe there's some chance the earth is habitable again. Um, point of fact, the answer would be no. 
like absolutely not, <laughs> you know, under any circumstances. Now, the second season sets up a thing where it starts to try to explain, oh, here's why they're fine, because exposure to solar radiation for 97 years yes. has made their bodies <laughs> immune to heavy doses of radiation. <laughs> okay, sure. The Fantastic Ford. Uh, and when, you know, the first season is really about them encountering this group of, like, uh, people who survived who stayed on Earth, once again, wouldn't have happened, <laughs> but who have reverted to, like, brutality and savagery mm-hmm. and, uh, and them sort of forming some relationships with a few of them and then just getting into bloody, terrible battles with the rest of them. Lots of them dying off left and right. I, I, they shouldn't be calling it the 100 anymore. It should, should be, be more like, like the 72 or something <laughs> like that. 50 and counting. <laughs> uh, but the second season has them discovering that they're in the Blue Ridge Mountains. There's another group of survivors in the Mount Weather Emergency Operations Center who've been living there in a uh, apparently they were ready because these people have been fine and are way fine. Have like more than enough supplies. So they kind of vault. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know they seem everything seems fine. They're like, no, now you're with us and you can stay here and be happy. But as it becomes clear very shortly into it, they have nefarious purposes oh, and nefarious it. purposes for the kids Every who survive. Meanwhile, the Ark. <laughs> this is so ridiculous, can't even really say it with a straight face. The Ark decides that the only way for the rest of them to actually, like the people up there are going to survive because they're going to run out of air and resources, is to crash the station into the Earth, which they fully expect they'll survive. And in fact, on the whole, do. Well, yes. Fabulous. That's a thing that happens in science. <laughs> so now this season, the adults are there too, and there's lots of, Mom, I can't believe you sent me to Earth to die. Parents just don't up. understand. Oh, like if there was like a subtitle for this season, it would be "Teens Always Right, Adults Always Wrong." <laughs> it's like so t- juvenile rebellion. Well, you, you did surpri- say CW. Surprisingly, this season, about halfway through it, starts getting really good. Mm. It starts abandoning, like constantly adding junk science. <laughs> it gets really fucking tense and has one of the bleakest, darkest endings to a season of any TV show I've seen in a long time. Huh. I was like, wow, that is seriously fucked up. <laughs> uh, and it has this, it ends up having this kind of interesting theme about there's no such thing as good guys and bad guys. There's just trying to survive. You, If you're in that position you're a bad guy. You're just going to have to make peace with it. Mm -hmm. You know, like everybody is looking out for themselves and everybody in this is being a bad guy. You know, everybody is making terrible decisions for someone else. See, that actually sounds like something worth watching. Yeah. And that's the thing is all one. Once again, to my shock, this season was really worth watching. So how much of the second season was, was, would you say was worth it? Uh, the bulk of it. Because okay. the first couple episodes are still kind of playing with that silliness and a lot of like, God, Mom. Uh, once it gets over that, it starts moving really fast and turns into sort of like almost a heist. Like a heist huh. film crossed with battle, uh, with a, uh, 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 God, what's the name of the, uh, Braveheart, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, there's, it, it ties up a lot of the weird things that were set up earlier. Like there's this like random floating acid fog that'll go float through every once in a while and kill you if you're trapped in it. And they explain where that comes from. We're like, that's a weapon by the weather people. That's like one of the weapons (laughs) they use. And there's this group of people they call like reapers, which are like really mutated cannibals who go out there and are terrible. And you find out where they come from and what their purpose is in relation to everything. I'm like, I'm really kind of surprised it's pulling its shit together this fast like this. I admit, reluctantly, 
I really enjoyed this. And at the end, I was like, man, I kind of can't wait to see the next episode. Huh. Surprised. Eh, CW, you never know with those guys. <laughs> you know? You really do never know. Sometimes you get an arrow, sometimes you get a flash. Yep. Sometimes you get a supernatural. Uh, talk about shows, though, that have their really high points and their really low points. Oh, yeah. Play with your emotions. Yeah. There's Dexter, which for some reason they've released the complete Dexter now on DVD only. It had previously been released on DVD and Blu-ray in a collector's gift set with like a blood slide box mm. and a bunch of shit that you really you don't need. Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, this is a bare bones with a slipcover collection of the DVDs that is there just for people who are like, I didn't want to spend all that money on that other one. I don't know why they didn't do a bare bones version with the Blu-rays as right. well, but what the fuck. And this is one of those shows that when it's good, it's the best thing on TV. Oh, yeah. When John Lithgow's around, it's fucking Season amazing. Season four is spectacular. Yeah. I mean, I really, it's almost like, it's about half the show. Like, about half the seasons are phenomenal, and the other half are really not so good. Especially the last season, which is one of the worst seasons of any TV show I've ever seen. Oh, well, I found it just poetically tragic when when his sister was falling in love with him, who was played Jesus. by his ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> really creepy and poorly handled. Yes. Like, the things that happened in the last two seasons of the show, especially, were like, guys, Mm-mm. what are you doing? No, no, take what? it back. Uh, I like made made you wish that they had actually followed the books. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the big reveals later on is the whole his sister finding out he's a serial killer and how she deals with it. That happens in like the first book of the series. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah, it, it did get that got annoying after a while on the show. The whole like constantly <laughs> trying to hide from her, but who is by the way the worst cop in the world. Oh, oh yeah, she is so bad. <laughs> And not a, I'm sorry, I'm just not a big Jennifer Carpenter fan. She's not a particularly good actress. No, that's fair. But the, that's the thing is like most, I felt like most of the characters in the show are not very interesting. And most of them aren't even that good at playing the roles. But when it's following Michael C. Hall, you're absolutely into it. Who is well, so I, I, good. I think the Ozcast uh, did what they could. Yeah. I mean, here and there, there's good people in here. There's certainly, like, I mean, obviously the villains, generally speaking, of any given season are pretty good. I, I found uh, Jimmy Smith's not that entertaining. Well, the Jimmy Smith season, which is, I believe, season three, I believe, yeah, uh, is an interesting idea that ends kind of disappointing. Like, yes. Um, but, you know, you get season four to give you your taste back right after that. And, I mean, I actually really liked uh, season five. A lot of people talk shit about it because, uh, you know, they're like, well, it's not as good as season four. And it's not. But it's kind of a second chance at the season three plot, you know, where it's like, oh, someone who w- kind of wants to be a killer and be trained by him, but this time it's Julia Stiles. And this time they do much more interesting things with it than they did with, with three, I, th- I thought. Huh. I really like Julia Stiles in that role. But man, last <laughs> the, the last uh, two seasons, uh, seven and eight, and even a good portion of six, are pretty unpalatable. No, I completely agree. I mean, like, it was one of those things where I I check back in like, yeah. every three or four episodes. Like, nope, still not feeling it. Yeah, no, it it just never really recovered again. I mean, five is still. I always say watch it through five. After that, I guess only if you have to. <laughs> it just gets really silly and implausible, and the 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 stuff they're doing with the relationship between the characters just gets dumb as shit. <laughs> 
and it has the worst ending. Like, it's got to be top five worst endings of any show ever. I, di- I didn't even make it that far. Oh, it's bad. It's like, <laughs> you've got to be fucking kidding me. Hmm. Was it all a dream? It was widely hated. Let me just put it that way. I don't think anybody l- felt anything but absolute rage at the ending of the show. So Bobby Ewing didn't step out of the shower? No, no. Okay. no. He, he woke up in bed with Bob Newhart. Oh, he married okay. the whole time. That's fair. That's and fair, it was though. also all in the dream of an autistic kid at St. In elsewhere. a snow globe. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, all right, next up is Tut. I know you didn't get to see this one because I did not want to sub- su- uh, subject you to it. Ooh. It is a Spike television miniseries. Oh, my. Miniseries <laughs> based on the life of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, which is to say, not really. Um, yeah, because he doesn't look all misshapen. Well, he- yeah, here's the thing. Right from the get-go, I was like, yeah, this is not even mildly like what Tutankhamun's life was like because he couldn't walk right. He had to walk with a cane. He had like severe scoliosis and like a club foot or something like that. Here, he's young and virile and like a badass, you know, he's like a really sexy fighter. And you're like, yeah, that's not, you're kind of missing a pretty important part of the whole King Tut story, (laughs) which probably wasn't that interesting anyway. I mean, he didn't live for very long. He's a product of incest, you know, uh, maybe they should have made more of a Texas chainsaw masker type of thing. But Ben Kingsley plays is the grand vizier who you're like, uh, Pretty sure he was involved in the assassination of Tut's father, who was dying from a slow-acting poison. Dude, if it's Ben Kingsley, absolutely. Well, in in Egypt, uh, King Akahenaton, which was the only king of the Middle Kingdom of Egypt, yes, I actually remember all this from art history class, uh, was the one who tried to change Egypt from a polytheistic uh, country to a monotheistic one, with Mm. only believing in one god, uh, and nobody liked that. Was that Zoroaster? No, it was Ahen or something like that. I forget. Uh, but uh, every, they killed him because of it. And and then, of course, afterwards, they're like, okay, all the gods are back. Hooray. <laughs> all right, party time. <laughs> they were not ready for monotheism in any way. Uh, you got Alexander Siddig, of course, you know, who's got to be in anything that requires someone who's vaguely Persian looking. You know, I actually preferred when, his, when he went by Siddig El-Fadil. Yeah, yeah. I like because I, like I, I thought too. it was it was more eloquent. But uh, he's, I understand. He's the high it. priest. Um, I don't. Know, this is like glossy, sexy people doing stuff that doesn't even mildly resemble what happened in history, mm-hmm. uh, with the excuse of just having a period piece, sexy people fight with swords thing. It's this is trash, like of the of the low order. So kind kind of like uh, when we watched that. Uh... <laughs> History Channel thing about the Texas Revolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all it, it's a little bit better than that, maybe, but oh, not okay. in terms of production value. Oh, I mean, in terms of production value, it's shit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so stupid. I watched the first two; I never even finished it. I was like, this is just awful. So, tut. Uh, I, I, I say tut tut to the makers of tut. <laughs> tisk tisk tut tut. <laughs> yeah, it's not so good. I did, however, enjoy Escobar Paradise Law. Really? I did. I don't huh. think it's great, but I found myself with its, running with its tension and affected by it. Even though this is a, another example of taking a real historical scenario and playing fast and loose. With yeah. The actual events. Yeah. However, I will say that Benicio del Toro, who plays the famous uh, drug king Pablo, king, Escobar. Pablo Escobar, is 
really good and playing it in a sort of Godfather sort of way. You know, this isn't a Martin Scorsese take on uh, on a violent criminal. It's a Francis Ford Coppola take on a violent criminal. What, what I found kind of interesting was, you know, we'd, we'd, we've recently reviewed Sicario. Yeah, uh, which and is very good. His, his, his uh, Spanish work in this was better than his Spanish work in Sicario. <laughs> like, like by far, like his pronunciation and just everything. It was, it was like, why didn't you do that for Sicario, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but uh, he is definitely the center of your attention. But unfortunately, not the primary character. The story mm-hmm. here follows Josh Hutcherson, who plays Nick, a Canadian surfer, which he makes a point of saying, "No, no, I'm not a Yankee. I'm a Canadian." <laughs> like, you think they give a shit in Mexico about the difference? Uh, who has gone down with his brother and her his wife, girlfriend, not entirely sure, to uh, to build a place to teach surfing, even though his brother apparently is slightly crippled and can't surf it's, anymore. Look, it's what people in South America have been screaming for, <laughs> surfing lessons. Well, it was like, oh, wait, you're moving into a well-known, like, uh, impoverished area, well-known for being filled with crime, and you thought this was a good idea? Yeah, it's, it's just going to be peachy. Uh, but Nick meets a uh, local girl who he has a meet cute and falls completely in love with. Turns out she's the niece of Pablo Escobar. Oopsie. Who at first seems like the most awesome like family member. Oh, ever. he's he's super Tio. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he's like, come on in, we're having a big party. I've got all these houses. Anything you want. Here's all the booze. Swim in the pool. Everybody loves him. I mean Pablo Fuck Escobar. Niece. Like, just do whatever. Yeah, get, Pablo Escobar gave shit tons of money to the poor. Like he was like wanted to be he wanted to be Robin Hood. And so he did, in fact, he built schools and hospitals and all sorts of stuff. And so the movie starts with, we're just seeing that side of him. Yeah. Even though, I mean, even she admits, like, yeah, he's a cocaine dealer. It's like, look, you Americans are so harsh on it. We've been chewing cocoa leaves since humans existed. Yeah. You know, it's no big deal here. Y'all are the ones <laughs> making a big deal out of this. People got to make money. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, well, I mean, okay, I guess. But, uh, it's becomes clear everything's not working out so well when basically some toughs in the local town who've been threatening he and his brother about like oh these are our woods you can't build that here end up uh cut to pieces and hanging upside down in the town and it's clear yeah Pablo did that hey Tio Tio's a good guy he'll take care of you <laughs> you know I like I don't think that was the result I was looking for but hey you know what problem solved hey closure's closure. But, uh, you know, as this starts and then flashes back, uh, he's sent out on a mission to Pablo, who is going to has made a deal with the feds to go to jail for a while. And basically, he's sending out all his riches to be hidden. And so he's one of a bunch of people who are being sent out on this mission. And honestly, it's not un- really until it gets to that part of the movie that it starts becoming a lot more interesting, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because before, it was... It's, it's a bit of a slog. <laughs> you're, like the only, you're just waiting for Benicio Del Toro to be on screen again the yes. whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're like, I don't give a fuck about this guy and his life and his relationship with this girl. Right. It's it's much like a coke habit. It's like, when, when can I get my next hit of Pablo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but when it gets to that point is then we're seeing the worst, you know, the, the bad Pablo. And uh, even though there's still not enough of him in it, this, what Nick is going through is genuinely pretty fucking scary. Oh, yeah, for for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's fucked up. I would not want to be in that position. Now, mind you, Nick and this uh, in this situation, completely fictional character. Mm-hmm. You know, none none of that actually happened. But this takes place kind of in the middle of Pablo's uh, career, basically, because after this, like, apparently he was released again, and then like 
like kept doing his shit, and then the Fed said, "No, now we're gonna yeah, get no, him." Okay, and there was people, like a massive manhunt for years till eventually he was a uh, he was killed. Although some say he committed suicide before they killed him. Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Uh, have you had a chance to see uh, Narcos yet? No, but this made me want to watch it because Narcos is so good. Pablo had a fascinating life. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Like, he was a fucked up guy, but there were many multiple sides to him too. Mm-hmm. Like there are with a lot of fucked up guys yeah. like him. Uh, and it makes me want to like, like learn, watch something showing that, you know, the whole run of his life, this is a tiny period of his life. Right. Uh, I'm like, I kind of want to see the whole story and have it be about Pablo. Yeah. I do not give a shit about a, a like 20 year old Canadian surfer boy. <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll get to do uh, Narcos on, on digital noise since it's through Netflix. They, they do. They do release Blu-rays and DVDs okay. of, their, of their stuff. So hopefully, hopefully they'll send that one. To well, me. okay. Then bonus review. Watch Narcos. <laughs> uh, next up is a uh, archival re-release of some kind of hero. 1982 film starring Richard Pryor when he was trying to do some more serious stuff. Uh, originally, this film uh, directed by Michael Pressman was intended to be a straight drama and, and he was pressured by the studios, like you've got to insert some comedy. In well, yeah, this. I mean, he's it's... Richard Pryor. You know, it's like when Bill Murray did uh, uh, the Razor's Edge. I'm sure they wanted him to do comedy there. He didn't. What happened to the Razor's Edge? No one knows. Well, it's I don't know. It's it, I'd, I'd like to say that it's the old way that Hollywood used to work. Like we oh we don't know. This is an unproven formula. So go ahead and inject some of what we do know. Yeah, but they still do it. So yeah, <laughs> so that, that's an unfair uh, time time framing of this true uh here uh he pl- richard Pryor plays eddie keller a u.s army cons- private who is uh captured while taking a shit <laughs> and uh is like on like literally like it looks like it's his first or second day in vietnam and he's held in a po the first literally the first act of this is him in a pow camp for years where they want him to sign a confession that he committed while well, uh, a war, that he's a war criminal and that his country are, are, are committing criminal acts, which he refuses to do until his cellmate basically is so sick he's going to die. He's like, look, I'll sign it if you bring him to a hospital and get him help, uh, mm-hmm. which he does. Then, you know, it flashes real quick. We never get to see what happens with his actual release, but he gets back home and everyone's like, they, they skip over the whole part of like, you know, the hippie culture hating on Vietnam vets. It's yeah. not what this is about at all. Uh, he gets back home. Only to find out his wife has fallen in love with someone new, uh, has had his daughter that he didn't even know because she was pregnant when he left, uh, who's, you know, six years old or something like that now. Uh, his mother has had a serious stroke and can barely communicate. She has to be in constant and expensive medical attention. Uh, but, you know, trying to get help and trying to get his back pay for all those years, he's met, he meets a wall when the army finds out that basically he signed this paper. And now we're trying to keep him from being able to get paid at all. Right, but like, how are you going to get out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, interestingly enough, forms a weird relationship with Margot Kidder, who's a high-end prostitute, who kind of, who falls for him. And uh, they kind of have their own contentious, but... You know, and th- and this is this is pre breakdown, Margot. Y- yes, it is. <laughs> she was she was very pretty back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, he wants to get a loan to try and get the money to be able to to keep his mom in the home because they're saying we're going to have to kick her out. And he starts thinking about committing crimes to do it because there's no help coming from anywhere else. I mean, I get what they were going after here, what he wanted to achieve, uh, and yeah, this was a message that probably needed to be said at this point, you know, but. Yeah. It's not a terribly 
easy to watch movie? Well, uh, yeah, because there, I, I really didn't really get much humor out of it. But what it did remind me of is like you remember uh, Reagan's nineteen eighties, like like Reagan era vets. Like this, this stunk the high hell of of you know. Um, uh, shutting down mental institutions and yeah. just let you like that's I mean that's not what it was but that's exactly what it felt like uh, yeah no I agree with you it's not that it's a bad movie it's just it's not profound enough to stand up as any kind of a classic and what scenes there are where he is trying to be goofy he's funny in those scenes but they're not funny enough to say oh this is a Richard Pryor movie right. that you want to see you know, um, it, that's that. I think that's my big thing. There was no foothold. No, like you, you had nowhere to, to base anything. Agreed. Some kind of hero is some kind of meh. See what I did there. But I, but I still love you, Richard Pryor. Oh, we still we miss you. Go go see. Uh, what is? Oh God, what is the one where uh, they're in prison and they uh, have to do in the bolt the rodeo? Oh, uh, stir crazy. Okay, that's probably my favorite Richard Pryor. Or, or Silver Streak. Silver Streak's pretty good. I haven't seen Silver Streak in forever. I barely remember that it, one. It, it was on the, the, the Fox <coughs> TV station here uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Uh, next up is Black Coal, Thin Ice. Thin Ice. Uh, originally titled Daylight Fireworks, which actually kind of makes a little more sense as the title. This yes, it won does. the Golden Bear Award at the 64th Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, it's set in northern China in at first 1994 and then later 2004. Following this detective, who uh, in the beginning has been trying to solve these murders, where these victims, the victim was dismembered and then dropped at various coal locations. They found his pieces among the coal, uh, and you know, upon concluding the search for the people, ended up in a violent firefight with criminals that left several police officers dead. So, flash to years later, he is a complete alcoholic. Uh, he's a mess. He's no longer a cop. Uh, but still has friendships with some cops and new murders start happening of the exact same way. And they all seem to point back at this woman who works at a laundry shop who is, who had been romantically involved with all of the victims. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he of course kind of gets a crush on her. He's like realizing she's the number one suspect, but also is falling for, her. uh, the cops are kind of helping him, but also kind of wary of him. And this is this resembles more like those Scandinavian police thrillers that have been coming out lately that are very slow burn, very arty, beautiful yeah, cinematography, uh, and a little confusing. Yeah, well, one of the things that I enjoy is that uh, in a Chinese movie, either you're a cop who's on top of his shit or you're a cop who kind of fucked up a case and then you're just mostly a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that is true. Uh, he is definitely an interesting figure here. Mm -hmm. Like you're, he's very sympathetic, but he's also just a human wreck. Yeah. And that's part of the fun of, of, of watching him. Right. It's just <laughs> and so is the woman. When we start finding out what her actual connection is, the weird twist of what, you know, the solution is who's been doing these murders and what a relationship is to that person. It's like, so what do we do now? Oh, you could say it. she's got a quado. <laughs> She's got a quarter. That would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been great. I would have loved that. I guess if I had a problem with this movie is that I have no idea who the people were who he killed in 1994. Like, who were they? Why were they? What did that have to do with anything? It, it didn't seem to. 
like at all. Are they just random guys that suddenly decided to pull guns and shoot the police officers? Yeah, just just crazy gun nuts. This really did not understand what that how that like went into this as well as the very ending of this. I'm not entirely sure what happened. You either? I can't really help you with that. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I know it's supposed to be deeply metaphorical, but I was like, okay. Well, uh, yeah. It- I mean, it's certainly a gorgeous looking film. And it's, you know, Chinese film noir, which you don't see a lot of. Wait, wait, what I would say is, and this is meant to sound pretentious, it is supposed to be drunken like a scented wine. What? Yeah. What I'm saying is, like, you, you just kind of take it in for for everything that it's throwing at you stylistically. Uh, you know, you got the tone and, and the look. and, and, and you got your tone over here. You got but, your look over here. You know, and, and I've slammed movies in the past for just being, like, tone pieces uh and i I would definitely say the same holds for this Mm -hmm. uh but i just still enjoyed it it's a lot better than uh lesser films that have tried to do something similar of that sort of tone poem almost sort of thing uh a lot prettier a lot more watchable a lot more violent yeah. <laughs> Which is always good. <laughs> we like violence on screen. Yeah, We're just, terrible. Just not in the streets. Come on, people. Yeah, Black Hole Thin Ice is an interesting movie I could see myself returning to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up is Cop Car. This was one of my most anticipated films of this year, and I gotta admit, I was kind of disappointed. Yeah, because you, you, you wanted the... Uh, when, when Kevin Bacon does bad, he does bad so well. Yeah, he does bad so good. But but this was just yes. kind of... Something. Mm. Yeah, the idea here is these two young boys, Travis and Harrison, they're, you know, they're being kids. They're walking around. They've, they've decided they're running away from home, which is... But either way, they're just kind of rambling through the woods. They're little shits. Yeah. And, they find, and they're really young. They're like 10, 11, something like that. And they find a cop car out, like, on a little dirt road through the woods. No cop visible anywhere near it. The doors are unlocked. And at first, they're like, oh, throw a rock at it. Okay, go up there. I dare you to go up and touch it. And it's not long before they're like, fuck it. They get in, the keys are in it, and they take it for a joyride. Yeah, let's push it to 80. Uh, the problem there, above the and beyond the obvious, is that uh, we see Kevin Bacon, who is the sheriff whose car it is, uh, has grabs a bag from the back seat with a dead body like, and uh, has brought it out in the woods to bury it when, during this period of being out there is when the kids find the car and abscond with it uh and like he's like fuck which granted he, is a cute a, a, a cute setup yeah well we find it that like you know there's something in the trunk he doesn't we don't know what but something that he can't call the cops for help right i mean above and beyond that how embarrassing it would be for him <laughs> but yeah. he's trying to manipulate the situation where he can like you know, be able to contact these kids. Like he's like, oh, everybody, uh, I'm having trouble with this, uh, this uh, frequency. Everybody, all the cops in town, switch to a different frequency so that he can talk to the kids on the radio and try and intimidate them into mm-hmm. getting his car back. There is some interesting stuff in here. It's certainly a, a pretty bloody, violent ending, but it kind of felt like, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing at the end. I was like, okay, so is the message of this film, kids, don't steal a cop car. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure that was a message that really needed a film around it. <laughs> Listen to your parents. Uh, Steal regular cars. Yeah, I mean, like, you want to see... Like, the kids are good in this. They're both pretty talented young actors. Uh, Kevin Bacon, you know, has got his big, thick cop mustache going, you know, redneck tank top. Uh, and 
he's never he never comes across as truly intimidating though. No, you know? he, no, he's he's not being bad, Kevin Bacon. No, which come on, guy, that's that's why I showed up. Yeah, that was why we're here is to see you be completely evil cop. Here he's just kind of fucked up cop. Yeah, yeah, like more akin uh, to like wild things, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Uh, I, man, I really wanted to like this. I really wanted to. And ultimately, oh yeah, high hopes. I had high ultimately, hopes. Ultimately, I was like, yeah, this is kind of mediocre. Cop car is uh, is not everything we thought it was. I did, however, really enjoy people's pl- people, places, and things. Oh, that was charming as hell. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies that you're like, okay, there's nothing really original here. But when you get Jermaine Clement as Jermaine Star, you're right there. You've got a bonus point. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of felt that this entire movie was like, look, I'm not just Mr. Yuck Yucks. Yeah. Like, I'm an actual bankable figure. I, and it's true. He does. A, he gives a really strong performance in this film where he plays a graphic novelist who, as we see, he walks in on at his, his twin daughter's birthday party. He walks upstairs and catches his wife uh, about to have about to have or either having just had sex with another guy. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I'm leaving you. Uh, and so flash to I'm not entirely sure how much later, but a little bit later. And uh, his wife is living with with the, the or living with the guy. Uh, he's by himself. He teaches a class on on graphic novels, on, on comic book, the art of comics, uh, and is kind of directionless except for his relationship with his daughters, mm-hmm. who are just beyond adorbs. I mean, they're just the cutest little things and very smart and precocious. And he's the, like they said at one point, he's fun dad. You know, mom is, is bad cop. You know, he's fun dad. And the truth is, like, he doesn't really know how to be responsible dad. Yeah. You know, uh, like, and when he decides he wants to spend more time with his daughters, his ex is like, yeah, and how are you going to do that? Because you can't remember even simple things, like getting them to school on time. Well... Yeah, it, it was one of those things where, where just personally it would just drive me insane. Of like, I didn't force this situation. You kind of did. Yeah. But but he still, for his capacity, was doing what he could. Yeah. No, agreed. Uh, and he ends up sort of a, one of his students says, hey, I want you to meet my mom. And it's she's trying to set up a meet cute between them, who's played by Regina Hall, who I don't remember seeing in anything since the scary movie series, who was like the, the oh, no, you didn't, black girl in those movies. And yeah. here she's actually playing this interesting character with dimensions, and she gives a really good performance. Well, Regina Hall, I mean, she's she's been a great actress that is that, that uh, has always had trouble finding parts that utilize her mm-hmm. and and i feel like this is you know her her most high profile thing since like what friday yeah probably yeah uh and you know i mean ultimately this is like i mean it's a sweet harmless romantic like vaguely romantic comedy um uh, about a guy just trying to find direction in his life again and it's saved by strong performances and Jermaine Clement who is just so likable here and quite funny just not laugh out loud haha funny right which you know it completely fits with the movie i think if it if he had, they had played it any harder it would have totally sucked no yeah it doesn't go into like goofy comedy it goes realistic funny yeah like if kristen shaw showed up i'd be like uh oh uh, yeah something went terribly wrong <laughs> but yeah people places things you know one of those movies you can watch with your parents and you both enjoy it 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. You both go, no, that was actually pretty good. I, I got to admit, I got something from that. I did not get something from the equally trying to feel like real Ooh. life uh, drama of Unexpected, starring Kobe Smulders. I'm sorry, an actress I'm still not sold on. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who uh, plays a, uh, a school teacher who unexpectedly gets pregnant from her from her long-term live-in boyfriend who immediately is like, well, you know what? I do want to marry you, so let's have this baby together. Uh, and forms a relation, close relationship with one of her s- students at the inner city school she teaches at who is, you know, just a kid, but herself has gotten pregnant and choosing to have the baby. And it's kind of about that relationship, but it's also, it's mainly about trying to be a nice film about how complicated it is to be pregnant. Oh, and it's God. so fucking boring. Well, I don't know what's worse. Because, uh, quite frankly, I despise Kobe Smulders. I don't understand why she's a thing. And then just throwing her into this movie, just it just did me no favors. I mean, it really felt like you had just set up a camera on average people having an average life that nothing remarkable happens to. Yeah, they might as well have gone to Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't see what where the appeal to this is coming from for anyone. I mean, it doesn't have a particularly clever, cleverly written script or dialogue. There's no moment that you're like, oh, that was a nice turn of phrase or or right. nothing that makes you go, oh, I get it. I mean, if anything, it's trying to say, you know, white people, sometimes you shouldn't try so hard to help black people because <laughs> you're injecting your own idea of what they should be on them without understanding where they actually come from. And fair enough if that was anything more than five minutes of this film. But that's the thing is it's a subplot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I have nothing good to say about yeah. this. Elizabeth McGovern has an appearance as uh, Kobe Smolder's mother and made me realize, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She was an actress who used to be in stuff once. <laughs> and now she's in this. Now she's in this. A, uh, unexpected is co- expected, expectingly uh, boring as fuck. Uh, late term. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and then there's Manglehorn. I don't even know entirely how I feel about David Gordon Green, the guy who directed this film. Um, he makes a lot of films that are of mixed results. Um, uh, he did uh, some films that are really good, like All the Real Girls was really, really good. Uh, I enjoyed Pineapple Express quite a bit, but he's also done films like Undertow and Your Highness. Ugh. God damn, that was bad. Uh, this is one of his more serious films following uh, the lead character whose name is A.J. Manglehorn, played by Al Pacino, uh, who is a lives in a small town in Texas. He's a, key, a locksmith uh, who really only has a relationship with his cat, who he just loves the shit out of, and then working his job and constantly mourning over the one that got away, a woman from he hasn't seen in decades and decades and isn't even the mother of his uh, of his kid, who's, who is played by Chris Messina, who is a, a successful, I guess he's like a banker or something. I'm not entirely I, sure. I, I gotta say, uh, watching Danny Collins way too soon to watching this. Yeah? Like, like, it was kind of like if the same character took two drastically different life paths decisions. Life. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Pacino, I think, plays this with a lot more subtlety than he did Danny Collins. Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, yeah. And I. <laughs> you wanted to, to watch this guy evolve more than the movie ever lets him evolve. I think if you're really making this such a character piece, like when it gets to the point where he learns to change, I should feel like it. 
mean something. Or mean something, or that it like you believe that that change would come at that point, but I didn't feel either one of those things. Yeah, oh, okay, so it's a lot like Danny Collins. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also has a relationship with Holly Hunter. He's starting to just starting a date, and she quickly realizes, wow, this guy's a major pain in the ass and is completely self-involved. Which, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Probably true of Al Pacino, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like... I, this was like I think this was like uh, this was actually shot in in Austin. Um, so what I did like the score from Explosions in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Always do good score work. Uh, uh, and I remember when this was screening in town, everyone was super excited. I was like, "Why?" David Gordon Green usually does just kind of passable like films in my book. I'm like, yeah, "Okay, here's another David Gordon Green film where nothing really happens." And Manglehorn is no exception. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a completely fair statement. Yeah. Uh, very mixed feelings about this one. Because I did think Pacino was genuinely good in this. But Well, it, okay, so that's a weird thing about Pacino. Lately, he's been doing these really specific things mm-hmm. that I think, personally, he's he's doing really great work. But they're just in so-so things. Just so-so films. Yeah. Because yeah. this is an interesting character for him to take on outside of his usual parts. You know? Yes. Uh, it. He gives it, views it with so much more depth than the script does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He, he gives it more respect than it deserves. <laughs> uh, next up is Road Hard. I thought this was a documentary, and it is not. Nope. It is a uh, self-depreciating ego stroke for Adam Carolla, who directed this and wrote it. Uh, I mean, come on, am I wrong there? Is that no. what, totally what this is? Well, no, because I, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, God, it's going to be Corolla, but at least he knows enough comics that this documentary should be in. Oh, wait. Yeah, a lot of comics are in it for, like, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it favors the movie. He's playing a character named Bruce Madsen. By the way, not he's playing Adam Corolla. A parallel right. universe version of Adam Carolla, who uh, they say, oh, yeah, you used to have that show, The Guy Show, that was really <laughs> popular with that other guy who was on it with you, uh, played by Jay Moore, who's gone on to be a successful talk show host. You're like, yeah, this isn't based on Adam Carolla's like, life Where does he all. get his material? <laughs> and now Adam, uh, Adam Carolla, oh, I mean Bruce, is... Uh, Doing, you know, he's he's touring on the road is his way of making money, hitting comedy clubs, and he keeps bugging his agent. Uh, played actually, uh, pretty one of the best characters in this, played by Larry Miller, who's always well, wearing weird yeah, wigs. but it's Larry what Miller Miller, right? Come on, uh, who is he's like, look, I want a TV show, get me a TV show. And he keeps being offered shit that's just ridiculous and horrible. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, he's it's really just kind of following him as he's like having like. His life be shit. I mean, it's he's trying to co- co- copy uh, um, uh, the WTF show. What is that? Uh, yeah, Mark Maron. Mark Maron show. That idea, like, oh, here's this guy. He's not very all that likable. He tends to fuck up all his relationships by being kind of an asshole, even though he doesn't mean to. Uh, it's just who he is, uh, and he's kind of pathetic. <laughs> but you know, this this film suggests that oh, but he is a genius. He just, what happened? Why isn't he getting everything he deserves? Right. The, to me, it just kind of felt like, oh, so this is what, why you think things turned out this way. Right. <laughs> and it ends up being like this kind of weird love story uh, as he has a obnoxious meet cute uh, with a with a woman on the road. Uh, oh, God, what is her name? Um, oh, God, really well-known actress from Rescue Me. 
the show Rescue Me. I'm blanking on it right watched now. A uh, great show, dude. If you ever get a chance, Rescue Me is one of those shows that all the way through is fucking phenomenal. Huh? T- total top notch. Anyway, you get appearances by David Ketchner, Diane Farr, uh, David Allen Greer, Howie Mandel playing himself, Dana Gould playing himself, Ileana Douglas, Steve Hofsetter. I mean, it's got a, a lot of nice little cameos in it. But by the end, I was like, this is really. I mean, this was a fan-funded film, like a Kickstarter film. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how he sold this. Hey, I want to make a film sort of about me. Well, because the Ace Network is huge. Like, <laughs> like, no, seriously. Like, his podcasting... <laughs> oh, he's one of the most successful podcasters dollars. in the world. Yeah. Which is why, like, this isn't completely him, because that guy is... Act- the real Adam Carolla is much more successful yes. than this guy is. So it baff- baffles me that... Wh- so what are you trying to accomplish here? Like, do you want to set yourself up as a sympathetic right, figure? Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand. And it's got some funny parts in it. You know, there was some stuff that made me laugh. But by the end, I was like, well, I'm going to, this is one of those comedies I'm going to forget that I saw six months from now. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I saw that. Couldn't tell you what it's about. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, wait, no, I was thinking of To Catch a Contractor. Never mind. Yeah. That was something else. You know what I thought was weird? During the credits, there's a bunch of stand up comedian acts in there. And they're not people who are in the movie or anyone you recognize. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I, I, I turned it off when uh, it was done. It's a bunch of clips of stand-up <laughs> comics. It's like, yeah, these are just random people you've never heard of. Maybe he was just... Maybe, maybe they were Kickstarter. I was people. about to say, yeah. yeah. It could have been. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. The actual list when it comes up with the Kickstarter contributors was so small. Even when I got up to my widescreen television up close, I could not read any of the names. <laughs> <laughs> That's how small they were on screen. Well, hey, everybody knows that podcast supporters are the best people on the planet. They are, absolutely. Well, our podcast supporters. Uh, <laughs> next up is The Anomaly, this film itself being kind of an anomaly. Uh, sci-fi film, British sci-fi action thriller that, I'm sorry, did this make any sense? Were you as baffled by its logic I mean, it's not like I didn't understand what they were trying to say happened. Yeah. But it was like, no, that doesn't make sense. Well, no, I, I, I just felt like I, I, I don't think that means what you think it means. Yeah. Uh, Noel Clark, who uh, you probably know from, well, if you watch Doctor Who, and I suspect uh, many of you do, knew him as Mickey Smith on Doctor Who. And I liked him on Doctor Who, and oh. I think he's a good leading man. Uh, like, overall. I guess. I, I, I think he's definitely a, a great straight man. I think... I actually feel like he could use could have used a role that gave him a chance to be charismatic, and this does not. He's nope. just straight no. ahead, you know. Uh, but here, he basically wakes up in the back of a van next to this young boy who's who's clearly being held prisoner, and he breaks out of the van and frees the boy while a bunch of people, are, soldiers, are chasing them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he blacks out and comes back, and it's like years later or a, a period of time later, and he's like in an office, and it turns out that as bizarre as this is. Uh, there's this guy who's invented this technology that he can basically put into people with a virus that lets him remotely take over their bodies and their minds completely. But every once in a while, it there's a fluke yeah, that just... for exactly 9 minutes and 47 seconds, the person who actually is in the body becomes self-aware again. And this film is like all those sequences over time as he is trying to piece together what ha- what's happening to him and how to, for some reason, he's totally obsessed with saving this boy who Im- ridiculously they've set up in a like a womb like 
like Ziploc bag filled with acid that's slowly going to get to him and kill him for no apparent reason. For osmosis. Yeah, it just really, what was the point of that? Uh, and uh, the guy who's always there with him, uh, uh, Alexis Knapp, I believe it was. Is that right? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's the, the the woman that he ends up working with in here. Uh, God, what was that? Oh, is, is that is it Luke Luke Hemsworth? No, I don't. I, the guy I recognize. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, you're, you're guys. talking about Ian Summerholder? Yes, Ian Summer Summerholder, who is where? Where do I know him from? Uh, oh, the Vampire Diaries. That's where I. Know yes, him from. my uh, and he played Boone on Lost. My, my girlfriend kept reminding me that he was on the Vampire Diaries. Uh, so okay. I, I don't care. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, He's like the guy who's the son of the person who's possessing his body. And this is, it's just so incredibly improbable and pointless. Why is this guy even doing this? And just, I don't know. It didn't look that fantastic. I was, I was just kind of underwhelmed for, for how, how, uh, far fetched it was supposed to be. Oh my God. And it's so repeatedly far fetched, like just so much silliness. And I was like, if you had sold me on the reason this is happening and the bad guys are doing this to him at all in the first place, I could have gone with this and gone, yeah. okay, this is a neat format. Yeah, this is now a ride as opposed to yeah. uh, a shit pizza. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's sci-fi channel level, like original sci-fi channel. Well, maybe not that bad. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, it, you know I mean? Because it's not like that kind of, it's not campy. It's just... Somebody just didn't think through the suspension of disbelief part of this, mm-hmm. or 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 building a believable, understandable black backstory to these characters. Yeah, at the end, I was like, "Well, that was a waste of my time." Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Despite the fact that it looks cool, and it does, the trailers are really cool for this. It's not. Absolutely skip it. It almost made me miss my uh, Totino's Pizza Rolls. Now, I, the only film of all these I did not get to watch this this week was Blunt Force Trauma. So you have to talk about this. Uh, I can't. You can't? <laughs> that's that's one of the ones I didn't watch. Oh, shit. Okay, fair enough. Well, we're not reviewing Blunt Force Trauma then, which from what I read is a good thing. But we will talk about two Jackie Chan films that got a Blu-ray release. Hooray! Yes. Uh, you know, always be glad when re-releases of Jackie Chan films. One of them is... First, Jackie Chan's first strike, or though as it was originally called, Police Story 4, first strike. Now, the biggest problem with this movie is that it came out after Police Story 3, Super Cop, which is held up as one of Jackie Chan's best films. And one of Michelle Yao's best films. One of Michelle Yao's best films as well. I mean, it's definitely the highlight of the Police Story series. Uh, Police Story 4, first strike, just doesn't have that same level of humor, of action, of stunts. And what the big pieces they try and set up here, like the, you know, the massive, like, obviously expensive set pieces, mm-hmm. just come across as pretty stupid. But that being said, Jackie Chan still gets to do one of his most amazing single fight sequences ever in here using a giant fucking stepladder in a fight. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty goddamn impressive for, for the stunt fight stuff. You're like, okay, that was worth the ticket for this alone. Yes. Uh, this, again, him being, you know, Jackie the cop, <laughs> who now is uh, working for the CIA, uh, following leads of a nuclear smuggling case. He follows this woman to the Ukraine. 
and uh, finds out that she's still like, even though supposedly her part of the deal was over, uh, they were protecting her. That in fact she snuck away and has been hiding vital information. Uh, and uh, there's I don't I, you know what I don't even know. There's a bunch more agencies involved, and he's not sure who he is actually should be working with and shouldn't be. Uh, the new version of the KGB gets involved in all this. Uh, they end up in Australia <laughs> where he fights a great white shark at one point. Yeah. And, and, but that's not as cool as it sounds, by the way. No, no. <laughs> uh, I, I do I do remember uh, back when uh, watching it when it came out on DVD, there's one scene uh, where one, one of the girls gets kicked and she's knocked Asian. <laughs> what? Like, like she she turns into this this uh, small uh, Chinese man oh. for like just because I I paused it to, to to go to the bathroom and it paused just on the right frame and you could see that yeah. it was not in fact that actress. Well, there's still a lot of good fights in here. There mm-hmm. are some really fun set pieces in here. Ultimately, you're dealing with a lesser Jackie Chan film, but still one that's worth watching. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to be a great time, but it's you know it's not going to be Armor of God. No, no, no it's, it's not going to it's not going to be Drunken Master Two. It's not going to be Super Cop. It's you know, but it is. It's fine. It's yeah, good. It's fine. Uh, now, among his classics, though, is the other Blu-ray re-release from him is Rumble in the Bronx. Now, this was the American breakout film for Jackie Chan. I remember seeing this at its wide distribution release in a theater and already being a huge Jackie Chan fan where I had to go to my local uh, iHeart Video or, or indie video store to, to find all these import titles of Jackie Chan films to watch them. And this movie, like, like everybody fell in love with Jackie Chan. Well, in America what, after this. It, it was kind of perfect because I don't think that Quentin was goaded into it, but I do remember Quentin Tarantino and the the industry kind of setting the the Jackie Chan flavor yeah. when when he presented Jackie with the Lifetime Achievement Award before Rumble in the Bronx came out. So it was just the perfect one two setup, and then Rumble in the Bronx comes out, and everybody's like, Jackie Chan's the fucking deal, man. Like, and man, so, he is. Uh, and this is got some of his most it's one of the most non-stop fighting films he's done there's so many fights in this movie there's so many great big stunt action pieces in this film oh yeah uh, and when you know that the whole last third of this film he did with a broken foot that they had literally painted a sock to look like his shoe and put it over the <laughs> cast and he just still did it that's pretty fucking impressive uh, he plays a Hong Kong cop who's come to New York to attend the wedding of his Uncle Bill played by Chan regular Bill Tung, who I believe was his cop boss in First Strike, mm-hmm. uh, who introduces his n- new wife to him, and they're like, okay, we're going to go have our honeymoon, uh, and he sells the supermarket that he owns to uh, this woman played by the the wonderful Anita Moy. The late Anita Moy. Yeah, the, yeah, who alternately in Hong Kong fans would play a, a uh, like stuck up or or repressed school marm type or the gorgeous and haunting love interest. Here she's the 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 repressed school marm type who has bought this place but Jackie is staying in his uncle's house while uh, his uncle to take care of it while his uncle's gone on his honeymoon and in fact has volunteered to help her with a store. Unfortunately a group of <laughs> bizarrely unrealistic motorcycle punks uh, try and steal some stuff from the store. He beats the living shit out of them, but that just makes them decide that they are going to yeah. just beat him up every chance they get. And every time they see him, like, there he is! Get him! Well, that, I mean, that's a great thing. I haven't really thought about it uh, until now, but it's basically like Streets of Rage to the movie. Yeah. It kind <coughs> of is, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just well, like, But, like, alright, so... 
<laughs> it gets really bizarre and just laugh out loud funny when after like fully half of this movie is him like you know either beating up or being beaten up by this group of punks oh, with yeah. a, a bunch of really impressive fights and stunt sequences when uh one of them is the punks is on the run because he finds a suitcase full of diamonds from the mob and they're all trying to kill him and uh and he hide has hidden the diamonds inside the seat cushion of uh, this boy who lives in his building who turns out to be the, the little brother of the hot chick from the street gang uh, who <laughs> Im- immediately falls in love with Jackie instead, of course. Well, cause why wouldn't Because he's Jackie Chan. Of course. And he's awesome. Uh, but where it gets really bizarre is there's a the, one of the best fight sequences in the whole thing inside their gang hideout where he goes to confront them. And he goes, he, says, he gives the inspirational speech. You people are all garbage, <laughs> which cracks me up yeah. every time and convinces them that their life is going nowhere. So they should all be friends instead and all team up and fight against the mob, which is, yeah, literally like on a dime turns and suddenly everybody's friends and they're like fighting it's, it's together versus powers. the mob. And it doesn't matter at all. That it's totally ridiculous and the well, plot. Well, because Jackie non- could have taken him anyway. Yeah, the plot is nonsensical. Who cares? This <laughs> is Jackie Chan at his best, doing what you go see Jackie Chan's felt for, moving with the grace of Gene Kelly, but beating the shit out of people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely, know, absolutely a wonderful one. Totally, we're seeing uh, Francois Yip plays the love interest Nancy, and she was so hot, like really hot. <laughs> Here, probably at her hottest. Uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Not to be missed. Well, that brings us to the end of our show and our giveaway. And uh, even though that sounded ominous, uh, this film is not at all ominous. It is What We Did on Our Holiday, a British comedy drama uh, starring lovable folks like David Tennant and Billy Connolly, who I thought couldn't even walk at this point. No, uh, Billy Connolly can walk. He's very ill. He can he can lie down in the sand. He's so ill he died in this film. Not in real life. No. <laughs> uh, he was just he was just joking. <laughs> David Tennant and his his wife, soon to be ex wife Rosemond Pike, are uh, they're separated, but they're traveling to the Scottish Highlands for his father Billy Connolly's birth seventy fifth birthday. Um, and he's got terminal cancer. Everyone knows he's not going to be alive much longer. Uh, his Doug's brother, a very rich guy, Gavin, played by British stalwart Ben Miller. Now, okay, not that Gavin McLeod, not 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 Captain Stu. No, not Gavin McLeod, not that Gavin. McLeod. But he is Ben Miller, uh, a detective inspector from Death in Paradise. He is indeed. So, so it was it was nice to see him uh, wearing shorts. Uh, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so. Like, Billy Connolly's like, oh, what's all this fuss about? And, I mean, Billy Connolly's one of the great comedians. Like, we yes. don't realize here how important he is and how influential he is, but look up his, read his Wikipedia page. Well, it's like, Jesus Christ, this guy's one of the most respected comedians in history. In comedy, he's head of the class. Uh, I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, his unsuccessful attempt to break into the Americans. <laughs> Who we still don't get him, apparently. But, um... Basically, he leads to go, uh, they're like, oh, we'll let the kids go play with their grandfather. And he takes them out to the beach. And while they're on the beach, he dies. Dips a doodle. And the kids are like, well, um, 
I'm really into into uh, Icelandic uh, poetry. So yeah. well, he said, "I don't want to. If I die, everyone will be fighting. There'll be a funeral. It'll be awful. I'd rather just go out like a Viking." And so the kid who's really into Thor and all that, anyway, they they decide they're going to give him a Viking funeral. Well, that's because Grandad is eighty four percent Viking. Yes. Uh, so they send him out on a burning makeshift raft, only to come back and tell everyone and understand. They're shocked when everyone is angry. Yeah, everybody loses their shit for some reason. I was like, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Oh, yeah. No, it was... I, I did not like uh, uh, Tenet or or uh, Rosemond. Not not as actors, just like they were horrible parents. Yeah, they're supposed to be. <laughs> right, yeah. They're so busy being mad at each other, they've kind of forgotten how to be parents. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, and that's kind of the point of this, <laughs> to some extent. Like, they just don't listen to their kids. Uh, and, yeah, this is a cute... Like this is falls under the realm of those those British films like a uh, meeting dead Ned Divine and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's like a really cute family friendly comedy with a super dark event in the middle of it. Yes, <laughs> you know, uh, Billy Connolly. The only the only problem here is you want more Billy Connolly, and you ain't getting him. <laughs> who's so great when when he's in it? But that's the thing. I mean, real life, he really is very sick, probably terminally ill. Well, I mean, he, he he's got uh, the the Parkinson's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's not going to be with us for much longer, unfortunately. So they don't make him move around a whole lot. (laughs) No, no, the kids come to him. (laughs) Yeah, but for what he's in it, he's really funny. And this is a really funny, cute film with lots of nice little twists here and there uh, as the story goes along. I didn't even mind the the, uh, kind of heavily inserted teenage romance. No, not really. I mean, it's there, but it's never really spent much time on. It just kind of serves to like add a little bit of a wink of the eye at the end of the film, you mm-hmm. know, which I did enjoy, but it maybe wrapped up a little too neatly. You know, you're like, wow, yeah. that sure fixed itself quickly, didn't it? <laughs> but, you know, who cares? This is a piece of fluff and a really likable piece of fluff with a lot of great British actors in it and comedians. Really, really recommend what we did on our holiday, and it is our giveaway. So what do they have to do to win, Joe? Uh, write Chris's eulogy. No, they, well... Mm, <laughs> right? How about the words on my tombstone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your epigram. So go on uh, Twitter, on One of Us Net on Twitter, and hashtag holiday, and write what words will be on my tombstone. Uh, and not pepperoni pizza, okay? that's too Damn it! <laughs> I can still enter there, right? Too, 50 people will write some form of pizza if I don't block Damn that. Damn it! That's too easy. Uh, anyway, thank you. For listening to oneofus.net, I know this was a long one this time, but you know what? That's just how it goes. Some weeks we got a lot of ground to cover, and this yeah, was one of those we, weeks. Yeah, we really saved up. <laughs> yeah, we well, did. Fantastic Fest being there, putting me out for a week, kind of had something to do with that. So, anyway, join us again. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure if this is coming out before or after, but two Digital Noise are coming out this week. Us Boom. and Brian and Johnny. Uh, where they'll be giving away black coal thin ice, so you can win that on their show. And you got two digital noises to make up for the week where you got zero digital noises. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll be back this week, and then we'll be back again next week with Richard Marco. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. Remember, no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that ending better. Yeah.